Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood for good. Today we have Caitlin and we actually have a really funny story of how we met because we met in person for the first time at Sprouts, the grocery store. (laughs) I forgot about that. It was it was about seven or eight years ago, probably. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I think you were following me on Instagram at the time because we're both Arizona photographers. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy you came up to me and said, hi, you had courage. Like, I know her, but I didn't know your name wasn't Vienna Glenn. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. So I think but I was no- like, are you Vienna Glenn? <laughs> I'm so happy that you walked up to me because then that's how I got a name to a face and that's how our relationship started. Yeah, totally. Right? And then you came to a women's circle, and that's how we saw each other again, like maybe two years ago. And that's where we, I really saw that you, your mind was opening to the birth world. Mm-hmm. Home birth was on your radar. Yeah. And yep, you had your first baby in a hospital. And it was not what you wanted. So you learned and your second baby was a home birth. And that's what we're going to cover. And there's a lot in between there. And yeah, yeah, we're going to, we're going to try to cover it all. So where do you want to start? Oh, actually, hold on. (laughs) Hold on. I forgot. Um, I always do like, how do you just want to do your little intro on like who you are? You could say like where you're (laughs) raised or anything. It could be so simple or... Hmm. I am Caitlin. I'm a newborn photographer here in Phoenix. I'm married to my high school sweetheart and we have two little girls together. Beautiful. (laughs) The natural beginning would be my first pregnancy, which actually ended in a loss. Um, So my husband and I, like I said, we're high school sweethearts. Um, When we started dating, I was actually already on the pill because in high school at the time, it was really common if you had any sort of cycle issues for a doctor to just kind of, here, take this pill. And I didn't know any better. Um, so yeah, I went on the pill when I was like 15. And my husband and I, by the time we're in our mid-20s, we're starting to talk about, okay, like let's start a family. Um, I had heard sometimes coming off the pill, it can take a while for your cycle to return or like go back to normal. So I was like, trying to like time it all. I was a wedding photographer at the time. So I was like, I'm going to have this baby in the summer so that it doesn't interfere with work. <laughs> it's like really trying to control that, like the conception date, which I laugh at now. But um, and so, what's funny or what's crazy is some people can. Yeah. Well, that's what's actually wild. But then they, they, they meet their control issues in some other way. 
which I did because <laughs> I did conceive it perfect timing. Um, yeah, but yeah. So what ended up happening was I came off the pill and I gave myself, I was like, we'll give it several months to kind of let things get back to normal. It was, my cycle was all over the place. Um, I felt horrible on birth control and then coming off of it, my hormones and moods were all over the place also. Um, so I, yeah, I learned about like fertility awareness method, partly because I had decided I would never go back on birth control. And also because I knew if I understood my body, maybe we could get pregnant faster and I could really time it. Right. Um, yeah. So we actually conceived the first cycle we tried, um, like literally got pregnant right away. We were super, super excited. Um, we found out, I think on Thanksgiving looking, trying to remember. Yeah, it was Thanksgiving. And, um, we were super excited. We weren't expecting to get pregnant right away, but we were very, very excited. Um, told our family right away, like everybody was over the moon. And I knew that I wanted to have like an unmedicated birth. Um, my mom actually had like unmedicated vaginal births with my sister and I, a different kind, definitely still in the hospital. She has like a very dramatic retelling, but she always told me like, your body is designed to do this. Like you can do it. Women have been doing it for all of time kind of thing. So like, as soon as I was pregnant, I knew I wanted that. So I found like a hospital, um, midwife and I was like, I'm going to have my hospital unmedicated birth. I was really excited. I go in for my like six week ultrasound where they just like kind of confirm your pregnancy and there's a baby, no heartbeat yet. It was really early though. Um, and the ultrasound tech said she could like see it flickering. So, you know, that was like confirmation. Like I felt better. I was like, yeah, it's all good. Everything's good. Um, sorry. It's a little hard to talk about this even now. Um, you don't have to apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, we were super excited and then we scheduled like our next one. I think it was for like nine weeks or something. So like two or three weeks later and we go back in, we're all excited. And I just immediately like knew something was wrong. Like the minute the ultrasound tech like put the wand, I could just tell, I was like, oh no. Like I just knew immediately that we had lost the baby. Do you, feel, do you feel like you were reading her facial cues? Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't, that's a hard job first of all, but um, just the whole energy in the room shifted. Like I didn't even really have to look at her. There was just like a, oh, ha ha ha. And then you know, silence. And I was like, okay. Like I just knew right away. Um, it was really hard for my husband though. People don't talk about men during loss. And I immediately was like, we lost the baby. He was like almost, no, no, no. Let's come back in a few days for another ultrasound. Like, I'm sure it's okay. I'm sure that they just didn't like see it right. Like he really had a hard time acknowledging it. Um, whereas I just immediately like it, I almost feel like if I had been um, more in tune or like paying attention, I probably would have known that I had lost the baby, but I wasn't really letting myself go there. I was very much in la la land and yay, the perfect timing and the baby's going to be born in the off season and I'll have this great maternity leave and everything. Um, so yeah, as soon as I went for the ultrasound, I just knew and you know, the ultrasound tech that can't tell you anything. So she's just like leaves the room all awkward. And then the midwife comes in and kind of just lets us know like, hey, you're experiencing what's called a missed miscarriage, which basically means that I actually had miscarried probably days after my first appointment. Um, the baby was still the same size, like there had been no growth, um, which I think hurt the most 
knowing that I had carried this baby around with me for like three additional weeks and just had no idea, um, or just wasn't even aware, you know? Wow. Yeah. And it also points that ultrasounds are a snapshot in that specific moment in time. So anything can happen in that next hour, that next day, that next week. And so that ultrasounds really only help you for in that present moment. Oh, this baby is alive right now in this present moment, but it's, there's just no guarantees after that. And you've lived that. Yeah. It's such a false sense of security. It really, really is. Um, and even to the point, like it was almost more hurtful because I saw a heartbeat flickering. Like we didn't hear it, but like, I'm like, Oh, there's my baby. The heart's like getting ready to go. Like everything's great. And I think you take that with you. And for three weeks, I mean, I was picking out room colors and all the, like, this was my baby, you know, like we were doing it. We were having a baby and yeah, to have the rug kind of swept out from under you and not only, oh, you're actually miscarrying, but also you're, you lost the baby three weeks ago and your body is having a hard time letting it go kind of thing was really hard. Um, so then I'm immediately like, oh no, like I was on birth control for too long. I'm not going to be able to sustain a pregnancy. Like I am so anxious immediately, like freaking out that my body doesn't know what to do. Um, it was almost worse that also my body wasn't just miscarrying. Cause I was like, it doesn't even know how to miscarry properly. Like jumped so into it. I almost wasn't even being present in the pregnancy. Cause I think I would have known something was wrong. Cause like, I, like literally the minute Leah, we walked into the appointment and it was like ultra, and it's a vaginal ultrasound early on. But as soon as like the appointment was starting, I was like, the baby's not here anymore. Like I just knew it. And I'm like, I think if I had been paying attention, I would have known before. I really do. Um, and for that reason, it made it harder because like I said, my husband, like he really struggled. He was like, no, 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 we need a second opinion and all these things. And they're like, and even I was telling him, I'm like, no, babe, like the, the baby's not here anymore. Like I just knew it. Um, so yeah, it was really hard. And then on top of that, I was not miscarrying naturally. Uh, it wasn't like my body wasn't doing it. So I talked to my midwife kind of about the options and she was really supportive of giving me time. Cause I was like, I don't really want to take a pill or have a DNC. Um, so I think we waited like an additional two weeks cause there's like a concern of like infection or something. If this, if it doesn't pass, you know, And we waited an additional two weeks or so, and it still was not starting. Like, I just think my body did not want to let it go. And um, at that point, my husband was actually getting ready to go out of town for work. So I'm like, I'm going to miscarry this baby alone. (laughs) Like, I was so fearful. I was so scared that it was going to happen while he was gone that um, I decided to take intervention because I just did not want to be alone. I don't know if I would make the same decision again because I really wish that I would have just let it happen naturally. Um, but the thought of having to do it by myself was like excruciating. Like I did, I did not want to do that. Um, so I, and I actually ended up having a DNC and that was really traumatic. That's a whole other thing in and of itself. Um, yeah, because I had read that, like, if you take the, I forget what the name of the pill is, but, um, both, by the way, they're abortion methods. So that's also really hard. <laughs> like just from a mindset space, like you are wanting this baby so badly and then having to do like a procedure or take a medication that's used 
when people elect not to have a baby was really hard for me. Um, so yeah, it was really, yeah, really hard. People, people don't talk about that Emma, that much, right? Yeah. That, that you're doing the method of abortion, mm-hmm. but you want this baby so much. It's just, it's all so hard. I, I, I cried a lot and I literally was like, I, I don't want to get an abortion. Like I, and my mom, um, my mom actually had an abortion when she was like 13, like really young. She got pregnant the first time she ever had sex and ended up getting an abortion. It was very taboo. Like you don't have babies out of wedlock, you know, all of that. Yeah. Um, so she was very honest with me about that when I was in like high school and like told me her story and, um, also that it was one of the hardest things she ever did in her life and that she's still a part of her, like thinks about that baby. And yeah, so going through a loss and going in to get this procedure that my mom told me, you know, that she had to have when she was young, um, was really, it was just a really weird emotional place to be. And I just remember crying and telling my mom, like, I don't want to abort this baby. And she's like, well, you're not, that's not, it's not the same thing, but it still felt like it. Um, yeah, so it was hard. And I chose not to do the medication because my midwife had said that that it can be like really painful and take a really long time. And to be honest with you, I was in such an emotionally like fragile place and like scrambling for control. I think the idea of it just being a quick procedure that I'm not awake for felt really nice. Um, it ended up being really traumatic because when I went in, um, the OB was really great. She was super sweet, very like kind, um, you know, reassured me. I actually asked for another ultrasound. My husband was like, can you please just get one more right before you do it? Because I, you know, you hear these crazy stories where women like go in for DNCs and then their baby is alive and they're like, find out at the last minute. So I was like super, okay. Yeah. A little paranoid. So I was like, I want one more. I want to make sure. Cause like, why isn't my body letting it go? Um, and then the morning of the procedure, I actually started spotting. So I think it would have happened on its own. But since my husband was leaving, like, I think he was leaving like three days later on work trip. I was like, we're going to go through with it. I need to not be alone. Like, I was just like, I need this to, I need to move on. Like, it was just really painful. Um, but like, as they're, they give you like anesthesia. So I'm like completely awake. And the last thing I saw before closing my eyes, a nurse walks in and just opens like a bag of tools, like sharp, like tools that they were going to use to cut my baby out, you know, sorry. So I woke up from the anesthesia bawling because that was what I saw right before closing my eyes was sharp tools that they were going to use to take my baby out. And I was just crying and I, I'm like, was freaking out. And I told my husband like what happened. And my mom was actually with me too. And I was like, I was like, I need to see the OB right now. Like I was so mad. And she came in and I told her, you cannot let that happen again. That was horrible. I was so mad. And I, I was like, I don't care who you need to do, what policy you need to change, but this is a horrible procedure that I'm having to have done. I'm sad. And the last thing that I needed to see was the tools that you were going to have to use before closing. my. That was horrible. And she, she was really understanding and empathetic and apologized profusely. And even went so far as to be like, I want you to know that like those tools are there in the event of an emergency, but we did not use any of those tools on you. Like, which was really whether or not that's true, I don't know, but it really helped me feel better in the moment. But 
oh, I was so mad. Um, because I feel like these kinds of procedures get so normalized that the people who are taking part in them, it's just another day at the office for them. And I'm like, this is like a life altering moment for me. Like, do not just open your scalpel bag in front of me. Um, yeah. So I was so, so angry, really hard, really hard emotionally. Um, yeah, yeah, it's routine for them, mm-hmm. but it's life-changing for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it took – it was really hard. It was really hard emotionally. Um, I was really grateful that my husband was able to be in town when that happened and that I didn't have to be alone for the following few days. But, I mean, it is hard. You go through a loss, and then I think I had a wedding, like, the following weekend – um, and still wow. Yeah. And so and my husband was still out of town on work. So I had to have because he sorry, he was my second shooter, actually. So I had to have like somebody else come with me to the wedding who I hadn't worked with before. So it was like all this unfamiliar stuff while I'm processing the grief, still bleeding. Like it was just so I was so emotionally raw. And what what were you grasping with, like with your belief with God and how could that happen? Yeah. Um so that's a hard one because I, I come, not I come from, when I met my husband, I was in high school, we, he was very heavily involved in like an evangelical, um, like non-denominational church. And I actually like joined the church, got baptized. So I was very involved in that also. And so that kind of branch of Christianity um, really leans into like, you're broken, you're worth nothing, you need Jesus because... Uh, like you're a sinner. Yeah. And not in like this beautiful, like, Oh, we could all use grace kind of way, but in like a, you are a filthy rag before the God of the universe and you need to be saved. So in a way, um, I had religious trauma that hadn't been unpacked yet. And my loss, um, confirmed those harmful beliefs. Like I walked away from it going, I am broken see my body doesn't know what it's doing um which just compounded on things and uh, a lot of that ended up really impacting my husband and i's marriage um and our intimacy together how could it not you know uh yeah so we walked through that and i it was hard because i know some experiences like that lead people in the opposite direction where they're kind of like really leaning on god and i felt more I didn't feel like I was leaning on God in a way of comfort. I felt more just like, yeah, you're right, God. I am broken. I am worth nothing. Like it was, yeah, I just isolated spiritually. I didn't even, I didn't want to even address God or if there is a higher power or anything. I just was really upset, to be honest. Um, Yeah, so it was hard. But after my loss, this was, the story just kind of continued, um, it took months for me to stop bleeding and for my cycle to return, which is very abnormal. Like, you know, I'm Googling frequently. I'm asking my midwife, shouldn't I be done bleeding by now? And it was just, again, getting this information, telling myself the narrative and the story that like my body doesn't know what to do. And I see now in hindsight, I really think that my body was protecting me from moving on and getting pregnant too quickly because I was still very much grieving. Um, but I was like desperate to be pregnant again. 
Like, I think if I had it my way, I would have ovulated two weeks later and been like, okay, moving on, you know, which probably would have hurt me a lot more. So I'm grateful now that it took so long, but in the moment it was really hard. Um, yeah, so it wasn't for months. And I think when my cycle finally returned, I like waited one cycle. Cause I was like, I don't want to get, I was so fearful of getting pregnant and having an early miscarriage again. And pregnancy after loss is like such an exercise in trust already. Um, and then you add to that, the fact that I was struggling with this notion and this idea that like my body really didn't know what it was doing and I couldn't trust my body. Um, so it was a really, um, it was really difficult to navigate. Um, I never struggled with like getting pregnant. I got pregnant right away. So I kept trying to tell myself like, you know, you should be grateful. At least that's not what you're struggling with. Um, but I did not, <laughs> it did not make me feel better. You know, like I still in, in my mind, like my body was broken. I had all these issues and I, um, just really had a hard time trusting. I was trying to control everything. Like it, I was already looking into fam with my first pregnancy. By the time I went to conceive my second daughter, I had bought an Ava bracelet. I had supplements out the wazoo. I was tracking all the things like, <laughs> you know, trying to control whatever I could, um, hoping if I could do it right this time, somehow maybe I wouldn't experience another loss. Um, so this time I think, yeah, it was my second cycle. I conceived Emmy. So I got pregnant pretty quickly right away again. Um, and we're so excited, but I'm like terrified, <laughs> like so, so scared. Um, my midwife wanted to see me at six weeks and I said, no, like I didn't want to go in early because I was like, if there's a heartbeat or whatever, like I don't want to get attached. I don't want to see this baby until like, this is a sure thing kind of thing. Um, cause I was just so scared and that's sad to me now, like looking at it, but also I think like nobody needs to be seeing an ultrasound at six weeks. Like I really don't like, that's just information I feel like we don't need. And uh, a lot of women get so inundated with like information in early pregnancy, like the HCG and the extra, is it doubling and all of that. And I just had no interest in going down that path. And I, I think my midwife was kind of trying to like, I think she thought I wanted that. So she was like, you can come in at six weeks, we'll do a blood draw. And I'm like, that's okay. I was like, and it, it really did feel like it would be almost like a waste of time where I'm like, well, you showed me my baby at six weeks last time. And that meant nothing. Like, <laughs> so oh, I was yes. kind of angry too. Like I was like, why, like, why would I come in when, like you said earlier, it's snapshot in time to me, I was like, so you're going to show me there's a baby right now, but what if, you know, so I don't know. I didn't want to be seen until it was like a weird mental thing. I didn't want to be seen until after how, how far I got in my first pregnancy. Like that's such a weird, like, I think I made my first appointment for like around 10 or 11 weeks because I was like, I just don't like, I need to get further. And then like, we'll see what's going on. It was so okay. weird. So now looking back, do you feel like you wanted to live in that space of hope or you, or it's both where you're just like, I saw my baby at six weeks and it meant nothing Yeah, I think because it, it changed. Both. Yeah, I think it was both. Like, I think I was, I was scared to know if, if otherwise, like if I was having a miss miscarriage, I almost wanted to be like, 
if this is another mis miscarriage, I just want to find out when I start bleeding kind of thing. Like, I don't want to see a baby and get attached and fall in love. And then also it was like, I'm not going to come in and see a flickering heartbeat just to have that ripped out. Like it just, it didn't make sense to me. Um, so yeah, I, but I still at the time was very much like feeling like I needed, I don't know, to be seen or cared for. Like by the time, by my third pregnancy, I went even further before having my first appointment, but we'll get to that. Um, so this time we go in and see the baby heartbeat. Like we actually got to hear a heartbeat and everything. And I'm like feeling good, still very nervous. Um, but still very much believing that my body maybe doesn't know what it's doing. So my midwife had mentioned to me like, sometimes these losses happen or it can be because of hormone imbalance or whatever. Um, we can try putting you on progesterone and it doesn't really hurt anything. So I was like, okay, sure. So I went on it and I didn't even really know that much about it. And I don't even know if I actually needed it, but I think it was like the band aid for me, like to feel like I was doing something kind of, um, having, maintaining some control and, yeah, taking a hormone like will make you feel in control of your body. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and looking at it now, I'm like, I know, like, I intuitively know that I lost my first baby because my hormone, like, you're on a on birth hormonal birth control for ten years, and we just act like that's not going to affect our fertility long term. Like, that's going to do something, you know. But for some reason, once I was pregnant again, it just didn't. I I didn't compute that like taking a a hormone might. I don't know. Anyways, it didn't seem to hurt my child in any way or hurt the, the pregnancy, but I, I definitely don't think that I needed it. Um, my, Hold on. This, my, this, is a, this is a hospital midwife you're talking about, though. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I went back to the same hospital midwife that I was seeing in the during the loss. Um, I went to her for my first appointment with my second pregnancy, and she recommended I go on progesterone kind of like just in case. She took my blood levels that day and kind of sent me on my way. I get the blood results back and she's like, yep, lo and behold, your progesterone's like much low. I think it was supposed to be at like a 10 or something. And it came back at like eight and a half. So she's like, yep, this must be why you lost your first baby. Like you have low progesterone. So you just need to take this through your first trimester. You'll be good kind of thing. Um, I remember at the time being like, cause I, as I mentioned, I didn't go in for my first appointment until I was almost like 10 weeks. So I was like, are you sure I need, like, I, I kind of thought like, do I need this? I'm 10 weeks and my baby's doing fine. Like, wouldn't I have already miscarried or like what, you know what I mean? Like I was confused by that, but also it made me feel like I was doing something. So I was like, sure. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah. But it's, it's also affirming the belief you had that your body is stupid and broken. Like yeah, totally. this health provider is, is confirming that to you. Yeah, absolutely. Which is my, I really feel like from the moment a woman goes to her first prenatal appointment, that's the messaging she's receiving. It's like, we don't trust you to do anything. Oh, you think you're pregnant because you're nauseous. You have all the symptoms, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, pee on our pregnancy test. We'll tell you if you're pregnant. You know what I mean? Like from the beginning, it's like, we don't actually care about your experience. We're going to make you pee in things and measure things. And yeah, how do you not walk away from that? Like, leaning on them instead of your own understanding, intuition and body, you know? So yeah, you're absolutely right. It did confirm that belief. Um, and I had to take, I didn't have, they recommended I take it 
for the first um, trimester. So I think through like week 13. And I was so sick. Oh, it made me so, so nauseous. I was, it was horrible. My first trimester was just awful because of it. I was like dizzy all the time, but still kept taking it because I was like so fearful that if I didn't, what if I had a miscarriage? Like I really thought, well, if my body can't have enough progesterone or whatever, then, you know, I have to take it and all this stuff. So yeah, it's taking the th- it. It's the thing that made you feel safe to mm-hmm. not get a, another miscarriage, which is yeah. just all illusion of control, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It was totally an illusion. Um, and I think towards the end of my pregnancy, I remember like talking to my husband and being like, I don't think I needed to take that. And he's like, really? Like, you don't, I thought she said it was low or whatever. And I'm like, but it was low at 10 weeks. Like I was already almost out of the first trimester. <laughs> like, you know, and the, the whole progesterone supplementation for loss is, is very debated anyway. Some doctors won't even prescribe it because I think there's like one study that was done on it. And it it's like if you start taking it at like five weeks or something, like you're supposed to take it really early and maybe it will help. Right. So I'm reviewing that and telling him like I didn't start taking it until way later. Like I don't think <laughs> that it helped me with my baby, but yeah. I didn't come to that realization until a lot later. I definitely more so carried the story with me that like I needed it. And that was the reason I didn't have another loss. And gosh, if you visit any fertility, anything online, Facebook groups, they're full of women who think that they need progesterone in order to conceive and stay pregnant. So Yeah. And that's the greater programming that we need big pharma. Mm -hmm. We need their products to have babies, to maintain pregnancies, yeah. you know, to give birth. It, yeah. None of it's true. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So coming, I mean, the whole pregnancy, I feel like I was on edge. Like I never really got to just sit and be like, I'm pregnant and I'm enjoying this. Like very, very small glimpses. Would I feel really like secure in my pregnancy? I feel like that fear of miscarriage stayed with me for so long And then, I mean, there's like a calculator you can go online to literally look up your chances of loss every day further you get in your pregnancy. And I was on it constantly, constantly. Okay, my risk is only this much now. My risk, like it was a coping mechanism of trying to maintain control, seeing that number get smaller. And trying to feel safe, trying to feel safe. You do the calculator to try to feel safe. Oh Mm -hmm. my goodness. Wow. Yeah, it it was really hard. And then, you know, once you get past, everyone thinks if you've had a loss, once you get past the first trimester or whatever, that fear goes away. No, it doesn't. Then my fear turned into stillbirth. Oh my gosh, my baby's not moving. My baby hasn't kicked in X amount of hours. Oh no, is something wrong? Like it just transferred somewhere else. It did not go away um, at all. So yeah, I will, hold on. I want to pause right there because yeah. I was just on a podcast talking about how not getting pregnant, like quote unquote infertility, the preconception phase, if it's been months or years, like it's been years for me, is the training ground because it's sitting in mystery and unknown. Mm. That is the training ground for pregnancy, for birth, because look at what you are sitting in. You got pregnant so fast, boom. But because of miscarriage, that put this layer of fear and unknown that then Mm -hmm. that's what you sat in you you were pregnant you had a baby in your womb but you still were faced with 
the mystery of the unknown of life. That's always there. And it's just that not getting pregnant and pregnancy is confronting that mystery. Mm -hmm. You know, like every day we are in the mystery of the unknown of life and we don't even realize it, but it's when we have like the fragility of life, Mm -hmm. you know, like in our womb that you face it. And so, yeah, I love, I just love talking about how not getting pregnant, people love being victim, you know, poor me, but it's really the training ground of how big is your threshold of sitting in the unknown because Mm. you can get pregnant and then be in this headspace that you're in. Yeah. And it shapes, it shapes you. And I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And that absolutely led to the trauma that I came out of with my hospital birth. Because if you are sitting in pregnancy with fear and un- of the unknown, not trusting your body, looking to other people um, to validate you, your experience, to make you feel better, just all the things, right? How are you going to go through the trial that is labor and birth and come out, you know, unscathed, so to speak? Like, I was... I was excited for birth. Like I, I really didn't go into it like super like afraid. Like I feel like that's very much like a, a normal, a normal thing in our culture. People talk about birth, like, Oh, I'm so scared. And Oh, I don't want it to come. Like I was actually looking forward to it. Like I was like getting kind of nerdy about birth and, you know, watching birth videos. And like, I really was excited for it. Um, Oh, I forgot to mention though. Sorry. I, I switched midwives because not that the first midwife was horrible or anything, but um, I couldn't step foot in the office without crying. I went back for my, this is something I had never heard anybody talk about. I went back for the second appointment with Emerson and they took me to the same room that I found out my baby wasn't alive. Yeah. Um, PTSD stuff. Oh yeah. I immediately started crying and my husband's like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I was like, this is the room. Like you don't remember like, and my body remembered, Oh, the minute I walked in, I just start crying. And, um, they put me, I requested a different room and they moved me. No problem. They were apologizing and whatever. Um, but then I realized that I associated the midwife with the loss and it wasn't her fault. She was nice and everything else, but I just was like, yeah, I can't do this, you know? Um, so at the time I actually had a past client who had kind of become a friend of mine who's, who was a labor and delivery nurse and her mom was a doula. So she was like, Oh my gosh, you're pregnant again. I'm so excited for you. My mom's a doula. Like you've got to have a meeting with her. Like, do you want to have an unmedicated birth? And I was like, yeah, you know, I was like all excited. Um, and they were, they were very supportive of a different hospital and they really loved a specific midwife group. They recommended that they were like, they're, they're really well known for like supporting, um, unmedicated birth and like, you know, all of that. So I was like, really feeling like I did my homework and setting myself up for success. <laughs> um, sorry. Sorry, somebody okay. walked outside my window and like stared at me. <laughs> like totally. I was like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, anyways, <laughs> caught me off guard. Um, so yeah, I went through my whole pregnancy really fearful and on edge and not trusting my body and scared of loss and then scared of stillbirth and all the things. Um, but like in my mind, I thought like, yeah, but like I like birth, I can do this. Like I, I still like, I didn't see how all of the other messaging 
like somehow in my mind, I had compartmentalized them as two different things. Like, and I didn't think that it was going to harm me in my labor. Like I really did not see that connection. And now I see it and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, but no way I could have known. Um, so I'll give kind of like a quick rundown of her birth story. Um, my water broke in the middle of the night, which supposedly isn't very common, but it's happened to me twice now where my water breaks first. How many um, weeks water, were you? How many weeks I were you? I was 39 and I was like, wait, 39 and five, I think. Yeah. So it was just a, a little before I was due. Um, and so oh, 39 and three. So I'm like trying to think through 39 and something. Um, it's hard to keep it all straight, but, um, yeah, it was almost, it was almost due and I had convinced myself I was going to go past my due date. Like I just kept telling myself, no, it'll be 42 weeks. That way, if she came late, I wouldn't be upset, you know? So I was really shocked when my water broke, um, water breaks in the middle of the night. And I tell my husband and he's like, it's go time, like right away. And I'm like, no, it's not go time. Like go back to sleep. We're going to try and ride this out. Like, I really wasn't trying to rush to the hospital, um, which is worth mentioning really quickly. I had heard about, I, like, I knew about home birth when I was pregnant, but I definitely believed the lie that, like, as a first-time mom, like, you don't home birth if you're a first-time mom. Like, I had told myself, you know, maybe we'll do, like, a hospital birth this time and, like, a birth center or a home birth maybe our second time. And, like, that sucks that so many women feel that way. Like, I don't know. How can it, it, you how can you try to explain that mentality? I know, I don't know. It's because we think that like birth is something you have to like practice or learn it and then you can do it right the next time. That's so silly to me. I'm like I had all the tools I easily could have. I don't know. People really think like they're not going to be good at birth or something and I'm like you're just your body just does it. You don't you could literally be completely uninvolved and your body will just birth your baby. Yes, but it, so it does make sense though. So if you had the messaging of you're broken, your whole pregnancy mm -hmm. and all, all of this messaging, it makes sense that you go to a hospital because you're like, I need help, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I need help. I can't do this by myself. Yes. It, does, yeah. it makes sense. That, and that's the, me the messaging, I think, in our culture, though. Like, the minute women get pregnant, oh, I got to call the doctor. I need the confirmation. Oh, I got to get all these tests in my pregnancy. I got to get all the things, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think from the beginning, you're really primed to walk into the hospital when you're in labor and, like, be a good girl and listen and do whatever they tell you and don't ask questions and let the doctor catch your baby and be a savior somehow. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... But for me, I thought, you know, I've got a midwife. I hired a doula. Like, I was like, I'm doing all the right things. I can have a good hospital birth. <laughs> and I've heard some people do it, which, like, to me, I'm like, they're the lucky ones. If you have an untraumatic hospital birth, like, you are lucky. That is not the norm. Um, I think so many – I think hospital trauma or hospital births with trauma are so common, it's just normal. I don't even think people realize they're experiencing trauma. Yeah. So, agreed. Uh, yeah. So, um, and to the point that I almost after my birth was scared to say I had birth trauma because I thought like, yo, you're only allowed to say that if your baby like almost died or something. So I almost, I didn't even claim that for like almost a year, I think, until I came to the place around the time we met at Circle when I was like, uh, I have birth trauma. <laughs> like, 
so yeah, it, it, it took a while um, for me to, to get there because I thought I wasn't allowed to say that. Um, so anyway, back to the birth story. Water breaks. Um, my contraction started like an hour or so later, you know, early cramps or whatever. And they, um, I called my doula in the morning and was just like, hey, my water broke last night. I've been contracting. It's irregular nothing too intense. Like I'm fine. And she recommended that we like go on a walk. So my husband and I start walking around the block. And then, um, we actually ended up walking to whole foods to get like labor snacks. Cause I was like, I need to be hydrated and like well-nourished. So we like go to whole foods and like, as we're on the way there, it's like picking up to the point that by the time I'm in whole foods, I'm like stopping in the middle of the aisle, like going into labor land in my head. And people are looking at me like, what is happening? So I'm like checking out and my husband goes, sorry, she's in labor right now. And the, the checkout lady goes, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Don't you need to go to the hospital? She was like, do I need to call somebody? And he's like, no, we're good. It's fine. Um, so yeah, go back home. And uh, I text my doula like, hey, it's picked up a bit if you want to head over. So she comes to my house. I labor at home for a good bit. And I'm like in a good headspace at this point. Like, I'm having fun. I'm actually enjoying it. Like it's hard, but I'm like, oh yeah, I'm doing this. Like I actually was like really handling it well. Um, and then I had to leave my house and it all kind of goes to crap from there. <laughs> I think like it's one of the worst things you can do is be somewhere where you feel comfortable and safe and like cozy and held and be doing like the work of labor and then have to interrupt all of that you know, progress and leave and go somewhere else. Like just as a mammal, like how unsafe that makes, made me feel. Um, I did not consider that when I was planning my birth. Um, so my hospital was like a 40 minute drive because it was, there was traffic and, um, it was horrible laboring in a car and not being able to move or get into comfortable positions. My husband was driving and, he's like freaking, he's freaking out because I'm freaking out. And so like the, the mood went from like, yeah, we're having a baby and like really like, um, being in the zone to like inherently feeling like it was more of an emergent an emergent thing just from having to leave the house and go somewhere else. Um, so he's driving, my mom's behind me. I'm trying to like stay calm, you know, and like, we're all doing it, but we get to the hospital. Um, and I knew going into my labor, um, because I think I had read somebody's birth story when I was pregnant about cervix checks and how like they really got in their head and messed with them and like stalled their labor and all this stuff because they uh, the numbers were a lot of pressure. Like I read that somewhere. So one of the things is I was like, I am not having cervix checks during my labor. I don't want them. And my midwife was like, well, hospital policy, you have to have one when you arrive and then you don't need any more after that one when you arrive. And like, we really insist. So I was like, fine, one when I arrive and none after that. Right. So I get there. I do the one cervix check. It's excruciatingly painful. Nobody talks about that either. I feel like it's like, I don't know, maybe they're not painful for everybody. Cause I feel like some people talk about it like, Oh, and I got my cervix check. Oh, I'm a this or whatever. And I'm like, it was awful for me. Um, so I get my service check and they're like, yay, you're four centimeters. You're in active labor. Go do your thing. You know, they send me to the room. We start putting water in the tub, all the things. 
Um, from here, uh, and apologies if I have a hard time, because even now, like even after having a good birth experience, like it was, it was really hard. Um, I started in like a pretty good space. Like I feel like I, I it took me a while to get kind of back into a, I, it was like a rhythm you almost get into and in, with the contractions and the pauses and took me a while to get back into it. And, um, just as I felt like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this. Um, the cervix check started and there was no, Hey, w- would you like a cervix check? Or we normally do cervix checks at this point. Um, do you consent to having one? It was, it's not like I was held down and like service checked against my will, so to speak, or like people held me down or anything like that. But it was like, I'm in the most pain in the middle of a contraction in the peak, because that's when they do a cervix check, right? And a nurse comes in and says, I'm going to check your cervix now. And like, just does it. Um, And I cried because it was really painful. And I think I didn't even realize like, what had just happened because I was so clear. I mean, they asked me to write a stupid birth plan, didn't they? And I wrote on there, no, no cervix checks. Like again, thinking like that, all, all the things I wrote would be honored. Um, and I just remember immediately feeling really confused and that like totally pulled me out from like that rhythm that I had started to get into. And, um, they told me, and I think I had been laboring for like a few hours at that point. So I was expecting if they did another cervix check, okay, I must be pretty far along. And they're like, oh, you're still four centimeters like that. Like very like, oh. And so what happened? What do you think? My body doesn't know what it's doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to birth my baby. And all of that messaging that I had struggled with my whole pregnancy came flooding in. And the the whole thing just became a blur of like hourly cervix checks without consent. One of them, I remember, I specifically was like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want one. I don't need one. I'm fine. And they're like, well, we really need to know. And I don't even, I do kind of feel like at some points, it's hard for me even now, sorry. Because the room was full of people who were on my side. Like my husband was there. So I struggled for a long time after my birth um, with anger toward him. Like, why didn't you speak up? I had a doula, right? They're supposed to protect you from these kinds of things. So I was really mad at her, which was a bit complicated because she was my friend's mom. (laughs) And my mom was there and my sister were there. And I'm just sitting here like, what the heck? Like, how did that happen? Um, Kaylin, that's so deep. Like, it brings tears to my eyes because those are your safest, closest people. Yeah. And you, and you were violated, right? Like in front of everyone and you weren't safe. And that's no. just, that's really deep. Yeah. It was horrible. Um, and even in the middle of it, so every cervix check was like very little progress because the more cervix checks and the more I was told that I wasn't dilating, the more my body tensed up. I, I was that... I mean, I I don't know if you've heard of like a deer in the forest. If it hears a twig snap, the baby will ascend back up in the birth canal and the mom will go somewhere else until she feels safe and then birth her baby. 
And I feel like that was me. Like I was that deer in the forest. Um, my body did not feel safe. And so everything started stalling. And when that happened came the mirage of let's try this position. Let's try this position. Let's try this position. And every position made the contractions more painful and more difficult to get through. And every time that it would be like, well, we just got to do it for this long or this long. I just lost my voice more and more and more where by the end of it, I don't even feel like I was talking. I feel like I was just being kind of moved from one place to another and one cervix check to another. And it was all just happening to me. And looking back, I was so mad, like after when I started to process the birth, cause it took me a little bit to go back and like really think about what happened. Um, and I, I initially blamed everyone else. Like, I just was like, I, and I do think it's a, I have a right to feel mad. I do feel that way. Um, but also I sat in that a little bit afterwards. I definitely sat in like, well, it's your fault. I didn't have the birth that I wanted. Or like my doula was, you're, you're the reason I, everything went wrong. I was supposed to have this perfect vaginal birth. And what did I hire you for kind of thing? And, um, that was the work after, during, um, before getting pregnant with my, um, with Luella, that was the work that I had to do was recognizing that like, although everyone kind of had a part to play in this and I did have a right to be upset, it also wasn't anybody else's responsibility. Like, and that was really, really hard for me to work through and process. Um, the abuse that occurred is not okay. I will say that like that should not be happening to any mother in labor. I can't even believe how normalized that is. Um, yeah, so. it's both. It's both. Mm-hmm. It's abuse. It's disrespect of women. It's absolute just inhumane treatment of another yeah. human, but it's also women are choosing that system and yeah. choosing and that's, that care. It's both. Yeah. That's what it came to. And so honestly, for a long time too, the the main first I forgave my husband and we had a lot of talks because he had trauma from it too. Um, so first I had to forgive him because I think obviously he was the one I cared the most about and I felt the most sad about because I was like, you're, you know, my person, like what happened? I thought you were going to speak up for me kind of thing. Um, and then after that, I kind of went into like, why did I hire a doula? Like, I was like, what was the point of that? Like, I was so mad. And um, I don't feel it was her fault now. Like, I don't blame her. I really see that she was trying to help me. Like, I really think that. But I think the system is so broken that, like, a doula can only do so much. Like, I really feel that way. Um, But, like, the recommendation she was making, like, trying to help my labor progress, I do really believe she had my best interest at heart. And I I don't think or or speak ill of her. Um, I just think the whole system is broken. And I kind of feel like doulas in a hospital birth can sometimes be kind of like a you're trying to slap a Band-Aid on something that's just so broken, you know. Um, So, yeah, I basically got to the point in the birth or in the labor that – I had a full-on panic attack. Like, I couldn't breathe. I was hyperventilating. Um, After hours and hours of no progress, um, I think it it was like my water broke at 2 a.m. and around 10 p.m., 
that evening, I just was like crying. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't calm down. And my doula recommended that everybody leave the room and just let me have some time with uh, my husband, John, to like kind of reassess where I was at or just like have some space. And I'm really grateful that she did that because I definitely needed just less voices in the room. Um, So the minute everyone walked out, I just immediately looked at him and I was like, I need the epidural and I need you to not judge me for it. And I just started crying. And he didn't, of course. He just hugged me and was like, whatever you need, I support you. If that's what you need in this moment, okay. And I just felt so broken that I don't think if I had kept going, I mean, I know my baby would have been born, but I I don't know if I could emotionally and mentally do it. Like I was just done. I was exhausted. I was just fully living in my body can't do this. I'm broken. I'm broken. And I didn't want that to be the whole birth story of Emerson's birth. Like I was like, I can't walk out with that being my takeaway. And so in the moment, just you know, and it's there the whole time, right? It's like the epidural is like this lifeline. And, uh, I took it. Like, I was like, okay, I need, I need to get out of this kind of thing. Like it almost felt like just the way to make it end as horrible as that sounds, but I was like living a nightmare. Like I literally was getting fingers shoved in me every hour in the most pain that I had ever been in, exhausted beyond belief, questioning everything. I just needed it to end. Like I just needed it to be over. Um, And I knew intuitively, I knew that the reason that the labor was not progressing was because I was scared and my body was tense. And I just was like, I know when I get the epidural, my body's not going to feel anything. And then my baby's going to be born. And how horrible is that? Like how horrible is that, that that was the case, but I got the epidural and you were, yeah, you were in survival. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was fight or flight. And I, I just, I had to make a decision and that's the decision that I made. Um, yeah, it was really hard, but, um, she, I got the epidural and I think I fully dilated in like 40 minutes after getting it. Like the minute that I couldn't feel the pain and everybody was leaving me alone, my body was like, I know how to have a baby, you know? Um, but that mindset that I was in, I was like actively fighting the contractions that were trying to do work, you know? Oh, oh, and there's, there's other things too. I forgot to say that they insisted that I take Pitocin. Um, of course there has to be Pitocin, Leah. How could I forget to mention that? Which was again, something in my birth plan. I don't want Pitocin. I don't want it. I don't want it. Well, if you keep pushing it on someone when they're in the most pain they've ever been in, they're questioning everything. They have no idea why birth isn't just happening the way it's supposed to happen. Um, Yeah, I was like, okay, I guess I need Pitocin. I guess I need progesterone, right? Like it was just one more thing that was going to make it work. Yeah, and the way I see it is it's all that taunting. It's um, interrogation tactics, right? Like waterboarding. It's the fingering. Yes, yes. It's it's interrogation tactics and it literally broke you down because that's what it's meant to do. And the nurses aren't consciously doing these tactics to break a woman's spirit, but that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember there being like a very distinct shift of like once 
the like small Pitocin drip, as they said, oh, it's just a touch of Pitocin. Um, the contractions went from like painful, but like kind of manageable to like, I cannot do this. The shift from going to like, this is a natural mechanism that is going to bring my baby forth to like, this is not normal. I don't know how to explain it. Like it was so obviously not normal in my body. Like I, I just, from that moment, it was almost like, I can't do this without the epidural now that there's Pitocin in my body. Like that's how it felt to me because it was so strong. Like it was not okay. That makes um, so much sense. Yeah, I've heard well, many women say that and it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and we took a birth class before, before labor, um, like in the months leading up. And they talked about like oxytocin is like a natural pain reliever and that's what causes contraction. So when you are in labor and you don't have pain meds, there's like this weird ecstasy or like high that you get when you're contracting. Like, yes, it's painful, but I don't know how to explain. You're kind of like, I don't know. I call it like labor land. Like there's like a, a the edge, there's like an edge cut off kind of. Uh, Pitocin was like all the pain and none of that like fluff, none of that. Yeah. So it just became only pain at that point. And that's what broke me. That's what sent me over panic attack, all the things. So I got the epidural. Um, she ended up being born, I think two hours after the epidural placement took pushing took a long time. That's another thing. You get an epidural, you don't have sensation. So pushing is not very effective. <laughs> um, it was really hard. And I tore horribly because I had no sensation and my pushing was ineffective. And that made for a really horrible postpartum experience. Um, yeah. So I essentially birthed my baby. I latched her for the first time. She latched amazing. And I was like, okay, my body knows how to do something right. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I literally had that thought. Um, and then all the breastfeeding problems began. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's a whole, a whole chapter. I could do a whole podcast with you on Leah, but the long story short of it is she had like a tongue and lip tie and I was bleeding and all the things. And there's a lot to it. I actually don't even know if she really, we did do revisions on her, but I still, that's a question mark for me, whether that was necessary. Um, because I don't know, I almost feel like breastfeeding can kind of be like a mirror of your labor experience. Not always, but in my case, I really feel like our nursing relationship kind of like took on the reflection of her birth. Like, I was so insecure. I was really struggling with being traumatized from my birth. I started motherhood off feeling like I, you know, didn't know what I was doing and my body couldn't have, couldn't birth my baby. So is it going to be able to breastfeed my baby? You know? So it was like, when you have all of these beliefs, I really just feel like babies pick up on that. And I, I know she had a tongue and lip tie because I could visibly see it. But I don't know. I don't know if, if it necessarily needed to be revised or if, if I um, if some of those issues were made worse by like nervous system things, which I'll get I can get into a little bit um, after my second baby's birth because we had a very different nursing experience. So yeah. Ooh, do you okay? Does it make sense to say that now or after her birth I story? Can, yeah, she um, she 
had an even more visible tongue and lip tie and we had zero nursing problems, zero. Like literally she nursed perfectly right away. I never had any pain, blistering, nothing. We did, we did not revise her tongue and lip tie. Um, when she, when I was pregnant, I made the decision that even if it looked like she might've had a tongue and lip tie, I wanted to wait it out as long as I could because with Emerson, what ended up happening was she developed an oral aversion from the tongue tie release. Um, you have to do stretches afterwards. I don't know how much you know about this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she developed an oral aversion where, um, she would only nurse in side laying position for like four months. At any time I tried to nurse her any other way, she would scream. Like her nervous system was so on edge, so high alert. It was such a, it was really hard just to get her to nurse. I had to work with a lactation consultant who helped me like with getting her to latch in different ways because she was just like stressed almost. Like it was an, a stressful experience for her. Um, and but so you, I knew. Yeah, but you were stressed too. So do you yeah, think there. Oh, totally. Yeah, so I do you think. There's elements of everything. Like yeah, I think it's the, all related. Yeah. The birth <laughs> imprint, the energies of the birth are your breastfeeding experience. You know, you didn't trust your body. But then also like you're stressed and the mom and baby's nervous system mirror yes. each other. And yes. then Emerson's stressed. Yes. So you're in this stress state together. And yeah. then you have your home birth, which is different energy. And yeah. then you're more relaxed, second time mom, you know what you're yeah. doing, you're relaxed, and then you have an easier breastfeeding. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. So, and it's interesting to me with Emerson, because the very first time she latched, like they hand me my baby, I'm holding her skin to skin, sorry, the mic, <laughs> I'm holding her skin to skin in the hospital. Um, I latch her and I mean, Leah, zero pain. Like it was perfect. So... It was weird because the longer I stayed in the hospital, the more painful nursing got with Emerson. And we stayed for, I think, a day extra because I tore so badly. I was having a hard time moving around. So I was like, let's stay. The nurses can help. Um, and then staying in a hospital postpartum is horrible. Like somebody's in your room every hour. They're waking you up constantly. They're telling you you can't sleep with your baby. They're telling you you can't hold your baby certain ways. They're like, it's just, how are you supposed to learn how to nurse? Um, or breast, you know, breastfeed properly, or even just get into a, an alignment with your baby when people are constantly interrupting. Um, and like forcefully shoving her to my boob, like, oh no, you're doing it wrong. Do it this way. So I think all of that kind of like imprinted on her and she just started nursing so wonky and I'll, I'll never know. Like, I'll never really truly know if the revisions were necessary. Um, the pain for me got better after her revision and I was able to keep nursing. But then we dealt with like months of other symptoms because of the oral aversion that she developed and she still was just nursing kind of weird. So yeah, it was a whole journey where I wasn't for sure, but I knew if we had another baby that I just wanted to take a wait and see approach because I was like, you know what? That was so hard. And I wasn't fully convinced she, she needed the revision. Um, Thank you for sharing that story, though, because lip and tie revisions are really hailed as a savior. Yeah. And there is no real saviors. We want saviors. But yeah. there's usually, especially surgery of, of the snip or the laser with revisions, you know, like everyone has their own story. There's pros and yeah. cons of everything, but we, oh. we can have consequences 
to something unnatural. And we never yes. really know what those consequences will be. And with you, you kind of saw that. Yeah. And it was hard for me just emotionally too, because I, like we knew if we had a boy, we were not going to circumcise. And so taking my baby girl to get this like medical procedure and she's two weeks old and they're like, oh, it's gonna be really fast. Like it'll be okay. They, she was screaming, like it very clearly hurt her. I don't care who you are. Right. Like it was painful for her. Um, I struggled because of that. Seeing her in pain, well, immediately I was like, was that necessary? Um, because it did seem to uh, improve the pain for me, I did think like, okay, maybe she needed it, you know? So I went back and forth for a long time. Um, but like all of our nursing struggles, like the different things, the symptoms that we were seeing because of tongue tie, they said because of tongue tie, I should say, um, took months to resolve. So by the time they resolved, I was like, well, did the tongue tie resolve them or did the months of her getting bigger and her and I uh, like getting more in sync together and her nervous system healing and me processing my birth trauma, like did those things help her to nurse better? Um, and I did, I worked with a really awesome lactation consultant who after I did, after I did her revision, she even told me, she, she was like, I don't like sending people for revisions right away. She was like, a hundred percent of the time, it's always beneficial for a mom and baby to go get like chiropractic care, just things to calm the nervous system after birth, body work, things like that, um, before jumping straight to a revision. And so she was like, kind of like bummed for me that like the, cause the place I went to had been kind of pushy about it. Like you're saying of like, no, this will fix all your problems. Like it's very trendy right now that it's, if you have breastfeeding problems, this is the reason, you know? And yet again, what is easier going, get your baby snipped, which yes, I've thought about so much that it seems very similar to circumcision. And yeah. I have so many feelings about it. I just, it's easier to bring your baby to get this little procedure than look at birth trauma. Yeah. It's easier to bring your baby, even though it could be hard, right? You're separated from your baby. It, it's not that easy when it's being done, but when you compare it to- Fast, It's fast. Yeah. It's very fast and it's within a day, but if if it's it could be easier than looking at your birth trauma. It could be mm -hmm. easier than looking at the truth of your nervous system and, yeah. and, and living a life like, you know, daily walks, sunshine, eating better, your marriage, you know, like yeah. what is the condition of your marriage that is then affecting your nervous system? Yeah. Are you going to work on your marriage in postpartum or go get your baby snipped? Right? Like yeah. I really understand it because it really preys upon the thing we love as humans is a quick fix. Yeah. And I don't even know, like, I'm curious if there is like research on it or what, but like, I feel like intuitively what makes sense to me is that our body, like our nervous systems, our fascial systems hold on to trauma and stress. And so I think the reason why some parents see a tongue tie and they have breastfeeding problems and then they get it released and those problems go away is that it is literally releasing tension in those, in the fascial system, right? Like there's tension in the tongue, it's there, but I'm curious. And what seemed to be my experience with my second baby and having a different birth situation go down is like, maybe there are other ways to let that fascial system relax rather than just having to cut it. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's interesting to me how 
many babies have tongue ties now. It's like, why are we having to cut all the baby's tongues, you know? Um, and how common is birth trauma, you know? So for me, I just, it wasn't any, and I didn't read it somewhere or anything. I just kind of in my gut was like, I don't think that it really helped Emmy. I don't think she needed it. Um, and it certainly led to other issues. So I knew if I got pregnant again, I was like, we're going to take it easy. If we see a tongue tie, we're going to do body work and just like really focus on my own healing and like all of those things before looking at, okay, does this need to be released? Because I mean, I'm not saying no tongue ties ever need to be released. Like I have seen some crazy ones where it's like that tongue can't move. You know what I mean? But like for the most part, it does seem to be kind of overdiagnosed and over, over, uh, dealt with at this point, in my opinion. Um, evidenced by the fact that my second baby, I mean, she's got a really clear lip tie. Like at some point in her life that might break on its own. <laughs> uh, it's, you can see it. And I, even after she was born, um, I looked right away the minute she cried, I looked at her tongue. So I was like, does she have one? You know? And I was like, yeah, that looks like that might be a tongue tie, but it was interesting because I, I didn't freak out. I just was like, maybe, you know, and I, uh, waited my mid, my home birth midwife was like, Oh, it looks like she has a little tongue tie. And I just like, eh. I just let it out of my head. I'm like, maybe we'll see. And I'm like, meanwhile, like latching her perfectly, not having any pain. Like, I don't know. So I think there's something to that. Um, I love that more- you talked about it because it's a really debatable heated topic now and it is just fascinating that the holistic community does the quick easy fix a lot yeah i'm very it's just fascinating to me right like i have i have no answers i have my own story with it in my own life um Mm -hmm. but i don't know just leaning with curiosity and asking the questions and having these conversations are is so important yeah totally well i have a tongue tie um and so I noticed too in my own body when I'm very stressed and having like a hard time or a hard couple of weeks, I'll start to get pain all in here and down here and tension in my face. And when I'm not stressed, it's not there. So to me, I was immediately like, well, if that happens to me, don't we think maybe that could happen to babies? Like if their pain, if their jaw and their fascia system is tight and their nervous system is tight, that would make it hard to nurse properly, you know? Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, why is that baby stressed, right? Exactly. Why is that baby stressed? And like looking at the roots of that, the, yeah. the energy of the home, yeah. the mother issue going back to work at six weeks, right? Like there's yeah, so yeah. many layers. Yeah, absolutely. Even like just being born in a hospital, even if everything goes to plan, like a stranger pulling you out of your mom with bright lights, like I feel like that's not the way it's designed to go down. So really good conversation. So how old was Emerson when you got pregnant again? She was two. She actually had just turned two. So yeah, I can kind of dive into that. Um, She, we struggled with nursing for a couple of months. Um, And I very much like clung to breastfeeding after my hard birth um, trauma because I needed to cover the story that I was telling myself that like, I didn't know how to birth my baby and that my body didn't know what to do. I needed to like distract myself. Like I wasn't ready to deal with that trauma. I just needed to like, but look at me, like, 
look, look, I'm, I'm a good mom. Like I'm attachment parenting and I'm breastfeeding on demand. Like I was just like, I'm not even going to talk about all the hurt that went down with my birth right now. Like, uh, yeah. So it was very for survival. Like, I think I just, my mind was like, I'm not going to talk about that right now. Um, so I very much got super focused on like helping her with the nursing and all of that. By the time she was like six months old, I want to say we weren't having any nursing problems anymore. Everything was going great. Um, and we were able to exclusively keep nursing. Um, my husband and I had talked about before she was even born that we wanted a little bit more of an age gap if we could. So we kind of were like, let's just wait until she turns two and then we'll start trying for a baby for another baby. And she turned one and I started getting baby fever. (laughs) All my friends were getting pregnant. And I was like, wait, maybe we could do it sooner. Like, that'll be fun, won't it? You know, kind of getting excited. And my husband was like, okay, sure. And I uh, was like, wait, my cycle's not back yet. I was still nursing on demand. Um, Emerson was like very slow to start solids. She wasn't really into it. She just wanted to nurse all the time. And, um, oops, sorry computer. She, yeah, I was still nursing. Like somebody would be nursing a six month old, like every two and a half to three hours, she would still nurse at night. Um, we co-slept. So she was like, you know, it's on tap whenever she wants it, so to speak. And my cycle was nowhere to be seen. Like I was not having any, any signs. And so I immediately just went back to the same story. My body is broken. I doesn't know what to do. Um, I, even though I had nursed my baby exclusively to a year now it's, well, my, my cycle's not coming back and everybody else's comes back and other people can breastfeed and get pregnant. And what's wrong with me? And why can I do that? And yeah, I just started panicking and I didn't even want to be pregnant in that moment. Like I, my husband asked me like, do you want to be pregnant right now? And I'm like, no, I want to be able to be pregnant right now. (laughs) I know. I know. It's so ridiculous. Oh my gosh. I know. I just was like the control, the need for control that I was having. And gosh, like just continuing to tell my the story to myself that my body didn't know what it was doing. I got so frustrated. And then I just went down the whole same cycle again of like, let's Google all the supplements. Let's take all the things. Let's figure out how to get my cycle back. Um, you know, I started like the when Emmy turned was like 18 months, she had started eating more food. And I started like the kind of like don't offer, um, don't refuse method for like weaning. So basically like you don't go out of your way to offer it, but you let them have it if they ask. I always knew I, I wanted to nurse to at least two, like that was my goal. Um, and I didn't want nursing or like our weaning journey to be like, like me suddenly deciding, um, because, it was really precious to me. It was really important to me. It was like something that helped me get through that postpartum period, even though it was so hard being able to like nurse my baby and provide that nourishment gave me like the confidence during that period that I needed to survive how sad I was that I didn't get the birth that I wanted. So I was not ready to stop breastfeeding, but I did kind of start like trying to space them out a little bit to see if that might bring my cycle back and all these things. Uh, didn't work. (laughs) My cycle did not come back. And, um, she actually started having like chronic health issues, like gut issues around that time, or actually around the time she turned one. 
um, where she was getting like really severely constipated. And I think before you ever have to deal with like a tiny human struggling with constipation, it sounds like it wouldn't be that serious, but it was, it was actually very traumatic, like as a family. Um, it was really painful for her and having to help her through that was really hard. Um, yeah. So we went through the ringer of trying to get her all the help from, you know, uh, we weren't going to give her Miralax, which is what her pediatrician recommended. (laughs) So we went down all kinds of avenues and we just were not getting help, the help that she needed. It was really heartbreaking trying to help her. Um, so that was probably the biggest reason that I was like, definitely not looking to wean her because I knew that, um, she, like, I was almost scared to give her a lot of solid foods, like almost like it was actually really hard. Like I was really, really scared because it would hurt her. And so I was like, she needs as much breast milk as she can get. Like it helps her. Um, yeah. So I didn't want to take it from her. And the more that time went on and I continued to struggle with like this story of like, my body is broken. My body doesn't know what it's doing. Um, the, at the same time, my daughter was dealing with this chronic health issue and her health was getting worse and worse too. Like things were not getting better. Um, so it was like a really hard time in our family. And I was also struggling with like, Oh, I gotta get my cycle back. So like in general, trying to control everything, like I was getting so controlling about what I'm eating because I'm still nursing. And I start to notice that certain foods that I'm eating, she's reacting to like, you'll hear people debate about that, but I actually really do believe that that is a thing because yeah, I don't think that the body should be that sensitive to like what a mom is eating, but I do think that it can be. And within her case, like her body really needed to heal. And it was in such a place probably from unresolved birth trauma and her first year of life, um, her body holding on to all of that. Um, so it wasn't until, let's see, she was like 18 months when I kind of like delved into the world of homeopathy and this idea that like our bodies can heal themselves and kind of learning about that modality of medicine, um, just really started getting me to think about things differently and less from like an allopathic method of like this caused this, you know, and this is the diagnosis kind of thing. Like I remember the, the first call I had with this homeopath that we worked with, she was like, I don't really care what her diagnosis is. I want her to be healed. And I was like, thank you for saying that. Like, I just hadn't, hadn't had anybody um, care like that. And we even worked with a naturopath for like six months, like a, a pediatric naturopath. And it was just more of the same thing. I mean, she was taking like 16 supplements and all these. And I'm like, how is this different than being dependent on medicine? So yeah, anyway, sorry, that's like a tangent, but uh, it does relate. <laughs> So all of this is happening at the same time. And I feel like as we start to shift our mindset as a family from thinking like Emerson needs, you know, we got to heal her gut lining and give her these probiotic strands and do all of these steps to get her healed. And more of like, no, we need to support her body to do what it knows how to do. My own mindset about my own body starts to shift. And it, it was this really cool thing to happen at the same time where around, you know, I think it was around the fall. So she wasn't two yet. Um, and I, I really just started to talk to my husband and be like, 
I think my cycle's not coming back on purpose. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, you're talking about it like it's this like sentient thing. And I'm like, yeah, like my body. Like, I think my body is like suppressing ovulation on purpose because my body knows that my daughter needs to nurse. For, for physical reasons, like she literally needed the nutrition because she still wasn't a big eater. And she was, we were dealing with all of these like food allergies that was making things difficult. And then also like nervous system wise, like it was really beneficial for her and calming for her and for me, you know? And I, I just told him, I'm like, I think it's on purpose. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you know how I've been like tracking everything and being crazy about everything. He's like, yeah. And I was like, I literally know because I know the fertility awareness method. I literally know that every month my body has like pretended to ovulate. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I've literally had all the signs every single time, but I just never release an egg. I'm like, my body knows how to release an egg. It will do it. Like I literally got to the point. I was like, I, I think that it's like just not doing it because it knows that if I get pregnant, if my fertility returns, my milk could go away and then my daughter won't have milk and she needs it. And it was like as simple as that. Yeah. Because feeding her to until two years old was your everything. That's, that was your goal. And when you're saying all that, this is, this is so cool that you're saying that because with my story of not getting pregnant, what I like to say is my egg is me. My egg is choosing Hmm. not to join with my husband or my egg Mm. is rejecting my husband's sperm. My egg Mm. is me. My egg is choosing not to do the thing I want it to do. So my egg though, but it's me. So how can that? So, so then I have looked like, how am I rejecting my husband, right? Energetically, Mm. if my egg is rejecting his sperm, because my body, my egg is me. And what you're saying that's the same thing is like, yeah, your, your goal was feeding your baby until two years old. And mm-hmm. yeah, sure. You want, you had baby fever and you want another baby, but deep down, that was your ultimate yeah. goal. And yeah, your body absolutely. is like, we no. are doing <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it knew how important meeting that goal was like for us. You know what I mean? Like on a soul level, if my cycle had returned and I got pregnant and my daughter weaned before she was ready. I know that would have been really emotional, difficult, emotionally difficult for both me and her because she's, she's very like, Oh, I love her. She's very, 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 um, like, I don't want to say sensitive because I feel like that can sometimes be used. It was used on me negatively growing up. Like, Oh, you're too sensitive kind of thing. She's very much like a feeler. And, um, yeah, we were, we're very close and our nursing journey is, has been one of the greatest joys of my life. So if that had abruptly gone away, I think it, it would have really sucked for all, all involved. So, um, I started to see the wisdom of my body in that my ovulation was not returning for a, for a purpose. Like this is happening on purpose. Okay. And when I accepted that, so much healing happened. So much healing. That was really for me, I think the catalyst to then go, and I had kind of processed some parts of my birth. I came to the point where I was like, yeah, I have birth trauma, you know, but in terms of like that inner work and healing, I hadn't gone there yet. Cause I don't think that I was ready. 
and um, coming to the realization that like your body is not broken. Your body is so wise that it is not ovulating on purpose for the benefit of you and your baby. That was like, what? So then I went back to my birth with fresh eyes and I was able to go, you know, that was not your doula's fault. That was not your husband's fault. There is, that is a traumatic system that is set up to hurt people. And you were in that system and you chose to go into that system and you didn't know better at the time. You know better now, right? And then I was able to go, it's okay. Like you made a mistake. We're okay. We forgive ourselves. That's okay. Um, Which was really, really, really cool. Um, Yeah. And I think being able to process it and look back um, and even just understand that my body was protecting me in labor. I changed that narrative from like, your body was broken in labor to know your body stalled and stopped labor because it is so wise and so smart and it knew you didn't feel safe. So I was like, wow, thank you body. Like I, I totally shifted my perspective on that. Um, yeah. Which was like such a cool moment because I, and I told my husband too, like, that's the other thing. I think if I had gotten pregnant before doing some of this inner work and doing this healing, that would have been really harmful. I think it would have been really harmful. I was not, I was not ready to carry another baby and go down that the pregnancy path and face labor again. Like I just wasn't. Um, so it was amazing because I start to have all these realizations. I mean, we're two, almost two years out from Emerson's birth and I'm talking about it daily again, telling all these things to my husband. I started having flashbacks to things that I had forgotten about because I had PTSD from it and had fully like buried some of the memories. Um, The other important thing to mention around this time is my sister actually has her first baby at home. She has a home birth and at her birth, her birth went amazing. And there are certain things about it that totally triggered me and sent me into a spiral and made me process my birth. So I'm just fully in my birth every day. And I start listening to birth podcasts and all the things. And I'm just like, thinking, thinking it through, you know, beginning to end and why did this happen? And I just really, it was really, it was a cool, a cool time to like totally shift mindset from this like victim mentality that happened to me. They did it to me kind of thing to like, wow, I gave my power away in that hospital birth. My body tried to protect me and it was traumatic and like kind of just come to knowing of like, that's what it is. We're going to call it what it is. And my next birth doesn't have to be that way. So I started my, my period on Christmas Eve, (laughs) like literally a few weeks after all of these, just like revelations, my cycle returned. Um, and my daughter's birthday is in February. So I start my first cycle. I think I had like, I guess that would be January, February. Yeah. Two. Um, And then we're like, okay, I guess we're trying for a baby. She just turned two. (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing. It was really cool. (laughs) Wow. I just, you're amazing. Like the fact that you did that work, Caitlin, to own your story. Like, oh my God, that's alchemy. Like that is true transformation. (laughs) And that's, that's why. That's, and that's true wisdom, like turning your pain to wisdom. And oh my gosh, yeah. I can't wait to hear the, the home birth. Yeah, it was, and it was a lot of months of work and processing. And 
I really feel like I wouldn't have been able to process my birth trauma fully if we weren't like we were dealing with like my daughter's kind of chronic health things along the way. Like it was all so intertwined. And then on top of like our breastfeeding journey, like you just can't separate these things, you know, like they, they leave imprints on the body and I think they get all tangled up. And so, yeah, it was kind of cool as one thing kind of resolved, they all started to fall into place um, really beautifully. So yeah, we, my daughter turned two at the end of February and I ovulated like two weeks later and it was the, uh, my third cycle, I think, but like, we were like, no, we're still going to wait until she turns two. Cause that's like what we said. So she turned two and, um, we conceived Luella the first try, um, literally right after my daughter's birthday. So I was like, wow. And I knew right afterwards too, like literally happened. And I told my husband, we just made a baby and he's like, oh, okay, well, I was right. Cause we did. <laughs> he's like, how did you know? I'm like, I just knew, I don't know. I just knew. So it was really cool. Um, and I knew right away, like I'm not having a hospital birth. Um, I'm just not doing it. So I had gone down like the, the path of listening to all the different podcasts and stuff. And, um, I did, I will admit, like I struggled for a minute with the idea of like, do, do I have to have a free birth? Because I listened to like free birth podcasts and stuff. And I did feel a little like pressure almost like, oh, now that I've had birth trauma, like the next step, I'm, I'm supposed to have a free birth, um, which I think is kind of ridiculous. It's like this very dichotomous thinking, like you, you have to, you know, go there. And I think free birth is amazing. And if that feels like in alignment and, and a woman feels called to do that, like more power to her, that's awesome it did not feel in alignment for me. So, um, but it was weird. Cause I had to like process that with my husband and be like, am I like not trusting my body because I don't want a free birth? And he's like, no, <laughs> but like, I don't know, you know, when you, when you're a thinker and you're processing all of these things, like I had to like confront that, like, am I though? Like, is, is that the only way to trust your body kind of thing? And we had a lot of conversations about it and both just felt like, no, and that's okay. Like, that's fine. Um, it didn't feel for us. And I don't know if we have another baby, maybe it will. I don't know. Um, yeah, but I, but I, lo I love that you really critically thought about it because I do think yeah. some people could have latched onto the idea of free birth in response to their birth trauma. And yeah. Ayla Gwenka has talked about how she thinks that, like, you know, through through the millennia, women have always birthed with women. They've not birthed mm -hmm. alone. And yeah. so she, she has this, she has said this thing about how free birth is the opposite end of the spectrum of the medical system. And it's often yeah. the rejection and it's like the other end of the spectrum. And mm -hmm. so it's those two opposing sides and that, yeah, that can be so unhealthy in a way, you know, those mm -hmm. two far ends of the spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, but I did struggle with it. I'm not going to lie for like weeks. I was like, it feels like that's what you're supposed to do after you have birth trauma. Like I listened to all these birth podcasts on repeat and I was like, that's so amazing. Their stories are so great. Um, but yeah, it did. I, I really wanted to be supported by a midwife. Like I, I did want that. Um, so I ended up hire, hiring or interviewing. I had a friend who um, I think I mentioned her earlier, she used to be a labor and delivery nurse and then she became a midwife. Um, after her own home birth, she left the hospital and became a midwife. 
And I still did an interview with her because I was like, I, you're my friend, but like, I need to make sure you're on the same page with like what I'm envisioning for this birth because I, uh, I needed her to know she was actually at my first birth. I don't think I mentioned that she worked at that hospital. So she like came in for some of it. Um, and this is part of the reason why I wanted to hire her because during labor, she was like very supportive to me and was, um, just a presence that I appreciated in the room. She was, had a very, um, it's the word I'm looking for. Like, just like stable presence. Like, so for me, like I wanted her there. Like I was like, I really want your support. Um, I actually couldn't imagine hiring like a stranger midwife. It didn't feel right. So, and we were um, pretty good friends. So I was like, I, I want to hire you. And I hope this isn't awkward though. I would still like to do like an initial interview to make sure that like we're a good fit, <laughs> which that is funny because I went I told my husband, I'm like, I have to say this, but like, she's my friend. Like, is she going to get like mad at me for saying that? And he's like, if she gets mad at you, then she's not the midwife for you. So I was like, yeah, that's true. Um, so I'm glad I did because I was able to, um, tell her about my birth trauma that I don't think she realized I had been carrying with me. Um, I don't think that she knew, like she wasn't there for the whole birth. And I don't think she know, she knew how, realized how much like getting the epidural and all of those interventions like really traumatized me. Um, so, and I needed her to understand that. Like, I was like, if you're going to be my midwife, if I'm going to hire, you know, someone to support me, like they need to understand where I'm coming from and be respectful of my wishes on this. Like it was really important to me. Um, so I kind of just walked her through my, um, my perspective of my birth experience and shared, a lot of, um, what was difficult for me. And she had actually just birthed her second baby. And I took photos at his birth. And during that birth, so many of it, so many things reminded me of my traumatic birth and hers was a home birth, but just the way some things unfolded. Um, so when our, when our meeting was happening, she started crying and she was like, I understand. Like, I, I know exactly what you're saying because I felt that way too. Like I felt like my voice was lost and like nobody was hearing me and like things were just happening. And so she was like, I, I get it. And that was really cool. And I think when you're talking about women for all of history, birthing alongside women, I think that's why, because to feel seen and heard and know that the person in the room has walked these steps and like gets it, it's, it's a powerful thing, you know? Um, so for me, like that's what felt in alignment. Like I really, it's not that I needed her or I couldn't birth my baby without a midwife present. Um, but I just, I felt that, uh, that's what I wanted. Like, it's really just that simple. I really just felt like I wanted that like traditional, you know, midwife with woman. Like I wanted that. Um, that being said, she's a licensed midwife. So there come certain downsides. If you hire a licensed midwife, I knew that. And that was something that I had to like take responsibility for and own. And so my husband and I had conversations about that. And I told him like, you know, these are the things that we're agreeing to and signing up for. It's just kind of the the crappy side of it. Um, to be honest, like even if midwives who have licenses don't agree with these different regulations or whatever, like the regulations are in place and that's the downside if you hire someone. So I am, I am curious how you guys did talk about that, you know, if you went over 42 weeks, typically, then you have to be transferred to the hospital. She can't serve you anymore. Yeah. So how, 
would you have guys handled it? Just, yeah. it, it, it's, it's it, fantasy land, but I am curious. Yeah, it, I mean, it probably would have been really awkward, <laughs> um, to be honest. We did kind of touch on, like I told, I, I, when we had the conversation, my main things were like, I need you to understand that I do not want interventions. Like I was like, I don't want cervix checks. I don't want, I don't like my biggest thing. It was really burned in my brain. And especially after then attending two births in, in that two period, two year period, um, seeing women put into positions that are supposed to like help labor progress is so triggering for me because it just takes me back to that place of like, do this, get in this position, blah, blah, blah. And even if the intentions are good and the intentions are supposed to be, this is going to help you. It went against my like nature and labor because I was like, this is making the pain worse. But, oh yeah, that's how it's going to help the progression. And that was one of the things I had to unpack afterwards was like, is it really helpful to the progression if I'm crying and sobbing on the floor because I can't handle that level of pain? I don't care if my cervix is more dilated. It's not going to be because your whole body's going to be tense. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me that women are put in upside down in all of these crazy ways to help labor progress. And it just makes it more painful. And, and me, to, me, to me, it's all rooted in distrust. Yeah. It's like, we got to, we got to do these things to make it work. Absolutely. Um, and so I knew I was like, I want to be free to do whatever I want to do. And I was like, and I don't mean free in the way of like, you're not going to like boss me around. I mean, free of like, don't give me suggestions. Like I was like, I just want to do my thing and I'll ask you if I want a suggestion. Like that's where I was at. Um, and she was like totally on board. She was like, yeah, like I get that. Absolutely. We can do it. She's like, I can be a fly on the wall. I can come in when you want, like blah, blah, blah. Um, so I felt really good that we are aligned in those ways and that she could provide the support that I was looking for. That being said, we did, um, we did kind of like my due date, I think we, we put it in a little later in her system, like so that uh, there was some wiggle room with that whole 42-week thing. But we were both pretty sure that my baby was probably going to come early. My first came a few days early, so I was like, this one's probably going to come, you know. But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It crossed my mind the whole time I was pregnant of like, what happens if I go too late? What am I going to do? Do I free birth then? Like, it was absolutely on my mind because when you sign up to be in this, it, it, the home birth system, with a midwife is still in the system, you know? So yeah, there are regulations at play, um, which ended up affecting my birth, which is what I mentioned at the beginning that this birth still wasn't like the perfect undisturbed birth that I wanted. It was definitely healing and redemptive in so many ways, but yeah, it was not perfect. Um, so I can, I wanted to touch on something really quick though. I did not take progesterone this pregnancy. Um, we had talked about it early on and my midwife, my friend had told me like, if you need it, I can get it for you, blah, 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 let me know. And when I found out I was pregnant, I just like, I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> my husband knew and we just like, we just let me be pregnant for like a while before I even reached out to her to tell her. And then uh, I think when I did reach out, I didn't even plan my first appointment until I was like, I think I was like 13 weeks, like maybe on the cusp of like the second trimester. I was like, I don't want an early ultrasound. I don't want progesterone. And um, I remember my husband even kind of being like, oh, don't we need the progesterone? Like you took it the second time. And I was like, I don't need it. 
I just don't. Should we do the blood work to see? No, <laughs> I don't. I didn't need it with Emmy. I'm not taking it this time. Like I just knew I didn't need it, um, and I didn't. Everything was fine. So we did elect to have like the anatomy ultrasound, and I don't know if I would do that next time. Same thing. It was it was kind of that same story where I did it because I was like, okay, just the one. We're being born at home, right? So let's make sure everything's okay. There's no emergent like heart conditions or whatever. Um, and then they're like oh, we couldn't get all the picturing because she's in a weird position. So now you have to come back for a follow-up. And I said, no, I'm not coming back for a follow-up. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even, I was on the fence with this one. So I'm just not, I'm not going to do that. And I even talked to my midwife. I was like, they're wanting me to come back for another one. Like, how do you feel about that? Oh, and the other thing, your cervix, your placenta is so close to your cervix. That's the, the, the ultrasound. And so for a second, I walked down that mentally did my body not know what to do? Is my placenta too close to my cervix? And I told my husband, no, my placenta's fine because my my body's going to keep growing and my placenta's going to move up. Like, Yeah, were you at 20 weeks at what What was the ultrasound? I was, eight, I was 18 weeks. It was 18 weeks, yeah. And so she's like, I couldn't get all the heart, whatever, and yeah, your placenta is so close or whatever. And intuitively right away, I told my husband, I'm like, no, it's fine. I was like, it's fine. And he's like, oh, really? And I even called Madison. And I'm like, hey, Madison is my midwife. I don't know if I'm not allowed to give names. <laughs> I called my midwife and I was like, um, yeah, she's telling me X, Y, Z. I really don't feel like I need a second ultrasound. Like I just point blank told her, I was like, I don't want another one. Um, just letting you know what she said, you know? And she was like, do yeah no she was like don't go get another ultrasound she's like your placenta is gonna move why would we even worry about that at all it's not even covering anything and she was like she told me too she was like if it is ever an issue there are signs that it's an issue in your third trimester she's like we'd usually see bleeding cramping exactly. etc so she's like the body would tell you so she's like I'm exactly not, yeah she was like i'm not at all concerned about that and no you don't have to go get another ultrasound so yeah well that's that was whole, cool that's a whole thing though and i i don't like studies but to me like one of my favorite studies is about placenta previa where it's like mm -hmm. at 16 weeks women get an ultrasound and they're told they have placenta previa where you know the placenta is kind of near their cervix and yep. then when they reach full term it's like 97 percent. it's a really high have number yeah. yeah like 97 <laughs> or 98 percent of women's placentas have moved away from their yeah. cervix so it's the, literally the belly is moving <laughs> like <laughs> yeah and it's it's literally the perfect scenario to show that an ultrasound and that information literally creates this mental problem that's not even a problem creates yeah. stress creates worry it creates yeah. this whole cascade of fear for yeah. nothing yeah absolutely yeah, and I think had I been given that information in my first pregnancy or my second, I guess this would have been my third pregnancy. If I would have been given that previously, I probably would have gone down the route of like, oh no, my body didn't know what to do. It was broken. But by this point, like I, I feel like I had had so I had done so much inner work and like really grown in that area. So like, not to say it didn't creep up, but it was really cool how quickly I just was like, no, it's okay. Like I just intuitively was like, I'm not even going to bother myself worrying about this, like at all, at all. And to the point that I was like, in fact, I regret even getting this information. This is a waste of my time. Why did I go to this ultrasound? And I think probably I just went because it was kind of like, you know, it, for me, like we were talking about some people kind of have that traumatic 
birth and then jump to like free birth, wild pregnancy, no nothing. And my drip has definitely been a little slower. I'm, I'm a, like a six on the Enneagram. So I tend to be more cautious and like think of all of the things and the, you know, we want to be prepared. Um, but yeah, it's like in an instance like that, now I'm looking at it going, well, what a waste of my time, you know? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> why also- did I even do that? Also a very valid thing to consider for a woman that doesn't want to get an ultrasound, but is toying with the idea for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. you can trade your peace of mind for a false diagnosis or a diagnosis that they say. So you can be in bliss because you're in ignorance bliss, right? You're in mystery and you can feel so good and have peace of mind. And then you go to, to an ultrasound just to check, right? Like just for the sex or just to see if they have all the limbs, but then they say, oh, your baby might have this. And then Mm -hmm. your peace of mind, poof, gone. You're in fear. And so you're, you're, there's a lot of risk with your mind with ultrasounds and testing. And people don't think about that. Yeah. I, I really, and the amount of people, women who I know who've gotten ultrasounds and been told your baby's too big or which that one really kills me your baby's too big or there's you know all these minutiae of problems that then at delivery I'm like your baby was eight and a half pounds (laughs) yeah it's just too big (laughs) you know it's just a broken record but that's what's so great about listening to birth stories is that you get to see that's a broken record yeah, that you're absolutely. not special. You're not special being told that your baby's big. You're not special yeah. told that you have placenta previa at 18 yeah. weeks. You're not yeah. special. Like that yeah. happens all the time. Totally. And it, yeah. I am grateful though, because of my journey and kind of where it had gone, what had led me to that point, I really was kind of able to just like shrug it off and then also feel like, I just shouldn't have done that. Like, I was like, I knew it too. Like literally the day, the morning of the appointment, I was like, they're going to find something on ultrasound and insist that I come back for all these. Cause the lady was like, so we'll need you to come back so we can like get the heart measurements. Cause I wasn't able to blah, blah, blah. And then another time we'll want to do maybe one or two more to watch the previa. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I just was like, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I shouldn't have done this one. Like that's how I felt. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, but the rest of the pregnancy, I feel like went really well. Like I really did not struggle with all of that constant fear that I had with Emerson, where I was like worrying about miscarriage and then stillbirth and all of these things. Um, I was able to like really enjoy my pregnancy more, which was nice. I also was busier. So maybe that helped because when you have a toddler running around, you don't really get to sit in your fear. So there's no time for that. Um, Emerson ended up weaning when I was about halfway through my pregnancy. My milk supply just totally dried up. Um, But it was a, a really blissful weaning and ending of our journey together and just very like mutually endearing end to our journey. Like it didn't feel abrupt for either one of us, which was what I wanted. So it was really great. Um, and then leading up to Luella's arrival, we actually didn't know she was a girl. We wanted to keep that a mystery this time. Um, just not knowing things in general, I think was kind of, it was nice to like sit in that mystery of it. Um, I wish we had done that the first time too, but So we didn't know, um, and we were super, super excited to see Emmy become a big sister um, and all of that. And my one, I will say my one fear in in pregnancy that kind of kept popping up was 
because my water broke first with Emerson. So I kept thinking, what if my water breaks and labor doesn't start? And that is exactly what happened. (laughs) Yeah. My husband's like, I feel like you might have willed that one into existence. (laughs) Isn't that hard? It's like, is that intuition? Yeah. Or is that manifestation? Yeah. We'll never know. know. I'll never know. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. There's a lot of nuance here because I... I give myself grace, but also like this was one of the scenarios I knew when you have a midwife and you want a home birth, there are certain like regulations at play. So um, if your water breaks first, um, they want to see you in active labor within 24 hours. Um, So I feel like from the get-go, as soon as my water breaks and active labor isn't starting right away like it did with Emerson, Um, you're kind of like on a clock. So that doesn't feel fun. And I felt like I was on a clock in the hospital. That was really one of the biggest problems is it was like every hour, oh, you're not dilated enough. You're not dilated enough. And while my midwife definitely did not have that attitude, she was so supportive and so kind and like, it'll be fine. Like your body knows what to do. It'll happen. In the back of my head, I know about this regulation. Like I know that this could happen. Um, like I said, I had pondered it in my pregnancy of like, oh, that would be the one thing that would really be hard, you know? Um, but I still, uh, I know, I knew in choosing a home birth midwife and not free birthing or not choosing an unlicensed midwife, that that was something that I may have to contend with and kind of deal with those consequences, which is where I ended up. Um, so my water breaks in the middle of the night again and contractions start in like an hour and I'm like, yeah, like this is happening. This is happening. And I'm trying so hard to sleep because I'm like, it could be a while. Like I want to rest. And I get to the point where it was like, I think like 6 a.m. And I'm like, I can't do this. So I just get up. I'm like, I'll take a shower, whatever, make breakfast. And the contractions just stop. So I'm like, oh, no, you know, try not to panic. I'm like, it's OK. My body knows what it's doing. Like I got this. And for the rest of the day, I think until about lunchtime, they just kept starting and stopping and starting and stopping. And we're going, we went for a walk as a family. Um, I did like the mile circuit, if you know what that is. It's like a thing that can supposedly kind of help things get going, help with baby's position, which is funny now to me because of what ended up happening. But, um, and every time I would do the circuit, the contractions would start and then they'd stop if I stopped doing the circuit. So I'm telling my midwife this and she's like, oh, it's probably positional. Like, and she wasn't like overly concerned, like, oh, we got to get that baby into a different position. But she was basically just told me like, if the baby's in a weird position, it just doesn't put pressure on the cervix. And so contractions can kind of start and stop. And she was like, it happens, nothing to worry about. So I'm like, okay, cool. Still very much being like, my body will do it. I got this. Like, I really, I really still, I stayed in, in that mindset the whole time. Like the whole time I knew my body was wise and I could do this. Like, I really did stay in that mindset, which I'm happy about. Um, I more so got a little frustrated because I I think in my mind, I definitely, and something that I wasn't expecting, when you're a second-time mom, like there's all these stories. Oh, labor's so fast for second-time moms. Labor's so easy for second-time moms. So I think I was expecting that, and I didn't know. I didn't know I had that expectation until my labor kept starting and stopping. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I'm supposed to be like accidentally having my baby on the side of the road, aren't I? You know what I mean? Like that's kind of a narrative. It's like, oh, the second one can throw you for a loop and come so fast. Uh, And that was not happening. So 
at some point my husband mentions like, do you think maybe because Emerson's here, you're having a hard time, like welcoming the new baby? Because I struggled with that emotionally towards the end of my pregnancy. I would cry about how like everything was about to change and you know, we didn't have our babies back to back. So my daughter was like fully talking and telling me her emotions and which was amazing to see, but also very hard and having to like kind of grieve a little bit, like our family of three, like let go of the fact that it wasn't just going to be me and Emmy at home every day anymore. Um, that was hard for me. Like I already let go of our nursing journey during my pregnancy and now it was just entering this new phase. Um, and yeah, nobody had talked to me about that. Like I, all of my mom friends, when I would ask about the transition to two, there was a focus on the logistics. Oh, it's so hard to have two because their sleep schedules are different. Oh, it's so hard to have two because like two in diapers or whatever, you know, and all of those things I feel like are kind of a given, but nobody told me like, you are going to be so sad at first. <laughs> and like, that's okay. Like nobody said that to me. Um, and I wish that they had, cause it just like blindsided me, especially leading up to the birth and then after, after the delivery too. But, um, anyways, so we're, I'm in labor, my labor keeps stalling. And I was like, maybe honestly, yeah. Like maybe, maybe Emmy is distracting me because she was wanting to be held a lot and all of that. So I was like, maybe she should go to my sister's for a little bit. And like, that'll be the thing I need to like really just focus and get into my space. Um, so my sister came and picked her up and took her and contractions picked up again. I actually went to see my midwife um, and see my chiropractor because I already had appointments scheduled for that day. So I was like, I'll just go keep them. I might be in labor for a while. Who knows? I could have an adjustment. You know, maybe it'll help move things along. Um, and while I'm there, labor picks up. I'm contracting again, and then it like petered out. So this continues all through the night, starting, stopping, starting, stopping. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I know I'm approaching like that 24 hour mark. Um, and I text my midwife, like what, like what do we do at this point? You know, like it just kind of keeps starting and stopping. And, um, I think probably because she's a friend of mine too, she offers to come over and just kind of like hang out, see how I'm doing, check on me, that kind of thing. Um, and I was like, are you sure? Cause I don't think I'm going to be in labor. <laughs> like you might be here for a while. And she's like, yeah, 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 I'll come. So she came over, um, which was nice because it just made me feel a little less alone to have like a women, a woman present. Um, my husband's awesome, but sometimes it's just nice, you know, to have another woman present. And she just kind of was that a nice reassuring voice of like, your body knows what it's doing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, totally. And I still wasn't like panicking or anything. Um, but also aware of the, the timeline. Uh, so at this point we all decide like, Let's just rest and see maybe your body just needs to sleep. It's been awake for a long time, right? So I take a nap and the same thing just kept happening all night. Contractions are starting and stopping, starting and stopping. So this is at this point, I think it had been over 24 hours. She was lenient. <laughs> she she kind of looked the other way on the, on the time. Um, I think we were like, I don't know, maybe 27 hours. Uh, or 28 or something. And we're kind of like, okay, like, where are we going to go from here? Right. And I knew this was coming because I had rehearsed it a bunch in my pregnancy of like, if this happens, you chose to have a licensed midwife. This is the, the deal, you know? And so I'm like, like, even in that, like, even in that, I was like, oh, maybe I should have just free birthed. Like, <laughs> like, I totally had that thought. 
But I also, I told my husband, I'm like, this is the choice that I made. I knew this could happen. So I'm, I'm going to have to make a decision, right? Like, and kind of like know that I was letting go of that 100% undisturbed, like no intervention birth that I wanted. And I knew I was letting that go. Like there, it definitely, I think there is something to be said about the fact that like in Emerson's birth, all of the interventions felt placed upon me. And in this birth, I did, I felt it was in my power. Like I was saying, I'm choosing this and I knew I was choosing it. So there was a difference there. Like I didn't walk away with birth trauma from this birth. I walked away with like, eh, it's like some disappointment. Um, so it was, it was different. Um, there's definitely like a lot of room for nuance there. Cause I think that's something people don't talk about a lot with home birth. It's kind of like home birth is put up on this pedestal where it's like, it's always going to be perfect or beautiful or whatever. And especially if you hire a licensed midwife and especially if you're like me and your labor doesn't unfold perfectly, you know, on their clock or timeline or the way that it's supposed to, you kind of have to uh, contend with some of these things and it's, it's a little gray. Yeah. And it's also very interesting because what I'm thinking about is a lot of women aren't fully in the know of the licensed midwife regulations of the 24 hour waters open window that you have And so then if their waters are open for 24 hours and then the midwife says it's been open for 24 hours, I have to transfer you to the hospital. It's like the rug is pulled out from under them. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a shock, right? It's a, it's a huge shock. And yeah, like it's, it's their, it's their responsibility to do the research and be in the know. Right. Yeah. But, but that happens a lot. But then in your case, um, it's, it's still a thing because it's in the back of your mind. Yeah. So it's still a thing, but it's two very different scenarios. Yeah. So, and it totally was, it's just, it was, it was almost funny. Like I, I remember laughing to my husband, like, this was the one thing I said, I didn't want to happen. I was like, I wanted my undisturbed birth, but that is the choice that I made. You know, like I knew I was hiring a licensed midwife, so it is what it is. Um, from there, I remember I woke up from my nap. Contractions were still, they were just really spacey, not getting more intense. But like every couple hours, I might have them for like 30 minutes and then they'd stop. So that was still happening. Um, we did, we tried some things to get them going, different positions. I tried like nipple stimulation. I tried like some homeopathy um, to see. And they would, they would stop as soon as all of those things stopped. So we get to the point where like, okay, what's ha- like, what are the options kind of thing? And I just look at my midwife and I said, I, can I cuss on here? <laughs> yeah. I said, I am not going to the fucking hospital. Like, <laughs> I was just like, that is not happening. And she was like, no, you are not. Like, is that what you thought was an option? And I was like, I thought you were about to tell me that I had to go. She was like, no, 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 no. She's like, no, I'm not. I'm not about to tell you let's go to the hospital. And, and so that was kind of nice because I was like, I thought she was about to be like, you know, it's been the time, you know, because technically I believe the regulation is you need to be in active labor at 24 hours or you go. Which is and interesting so, because what is active labor then, right? Yeah, like, so I think, I think she was, I think she was playing, I think she was playing with that definition a little bit, um, which is nice. Um, and I appreciate it. So, um, because the option, you, yeah, like, but were you in active labor? It was starting stopping that. How is that not yeah. Braxton Hicks? Right. Like right, all totally. of it's just murky. It's just, yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, she had been checking on baby heart tones were all good. We were fine. Like there was nothing emergent happening. So 
I had no inclination. I was just like, I'm not going to the hospital. This is not an emergency. I'm having my baby here, yada, yada. Um, so I knew because we had previous conversations and because I'm just a research junkie, like I know, I knew before even talking to her that she was going to, to suggest a castor oil shake, which is what I ended yeah. up doing. Um, and that is, I think I've seen you post about it before. Like that's an induction method. So people, a lot of times will be like, oh, I just drank a castor oil shake. Um, I knew, I knew what I was doing. Like it's an intervention, right? Like you're doing something on purpose, um, to interrupt the natural flow of things. Um, for me, the benefit of staying home and having a home birth with, um, with my midwife outweighed the option of like going to a hospital or something. There was just no way I was going to do that. And because for me, free birth did not feel in alignment. I hadn't done any work in my pregnancy to prepare like mentally or anything for a free birth. So I wasn't about to be like, which, which just you leave. should have done. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because yeah. I say that too. Like if everyone prepared for a free birth, like if you have your baby in your car, you're not traumatized. Like you're yeah, ready totally. for it. And, yeah. and in this scenario, like it, it would be mentally doable. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing. Like it would just be beneficial for everyone to prepare no, for it. it happen. Well, I joked a lot. I would tell my husband, like, I think in my ideal scenario, like she would miss my birth. Like I'd hire her and she just kind of arrive at the end, you know, Oh, everything's good. And like, whatever. But like, yeah, it was silly. I, uh, I, I, I knew that for me that that wasn't going to happen. Like, I know there are some people who are like, okay, midwife bye, And they just like free birth last minute with, without whatever. That's not my story. I didn't do that. Um, so I, took the castor oil shake and whoo, that made me so sick. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, and it was hard. Like in the moment I knew what I was doing. I, I knew the outcome of it. I knew I was choosing to take an intervention, which was hard for me because I kind of feel like I had to, I was actively saying goodbye to that dream that I had for a completely undisturbed birth. Um, and I knew that that was a risk of birthing with, a. a a licensed midwife. I knew it was a risk and, um, it happened. So like you said, did I manifest that or was that my intuition? I really don't know. Leah. that's a good question, but that is the story. That is the way it unfolded. Um, so I take the shake and we all go back to sleep and I think I slept for like three hours. I get woken up at 6 AM and contractions are here and I'm excited. I'm like, it's go time. Like I am in such the thing that is so cool about all of this, the nuance is is interesting and the regulations and the midwifery and the all of that, whether or not to take interventions, like those are all good conversations to be had. But what mattered the most to me with this birth is that I felt like I was the one making decisions. Things were not being done to me without my permission and that I believed from beginning to end that my body was capable. And that those things were all true. They really were. Even in taking the castor oil shake, I told my husband before I took it, I was like, if I was not birthing with a midwife, my waters would replenish because they do. My baby would move positions and my baby would be born in a few days from now. So I was mad. I was like, whatever. So yeah, that's why I say, I don't know for if I have another baby, what would that look like? I don't know. But um, yeah, the whole time I just, I knew my body knew what to do, but like, this is the situation I found myself in, right? So take the castor oil shake and three hours later I wake up like, very much an active labor. Like they're, I think two minutes apart, very intense. I'm moaning through them. Um, I am having all kinds of not fun GI reactions to the castor oil. Uh, if 
if uh, anybody doesn't know that that's a possibility, take that into account because for about a good hour, it was not fun. <laughs> that is um, one side effect um, from both ends, I will add. Yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah. It was so rough. Yeah, it's a real um, side effect. And yeah, mm -hmm. people just need to know full front, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I knew that. Like, I knew all these risks. We had discussed them. So I made the decision and I knew it was coming. I hoped it wouldn't, <laughs> but it did. That being said, I was fully in active labor, like this baby's coming, right? So this birth, when I, I've heard people say that they have fun in birth and I thought they were like whack jobs. Like, I'm like, you're crazy. Birth is not fun. It's hard. Like, what are you talking about? It's like a necessary evil is how I used to view it. And then I'm like smiling between the most intense sensations and like, laughing and like I'm in my room I'm in my space like my husband's there um my midwife was kind of coming in and out and just very supportive and I felt so like strong like it was just so such a vast difference from my hospital birth where I felt so empowered and like I'm doing this like I kept saying that over and over again like I'm doing this I'm doing this my husband was laughing because he's like you are doing it and I'm like I'm doing this um, so yeah, it was just, it was so cool to have that experience, um, once labor actually started where I just was like in it and fully going into like la la land space. Like I just, I don't know. I just loved it. Um, it was really cool. And about, I, I think I was having contractions for like three hours and I got in the tub, uh, around 9am and uh, the fetal ejection reflex actually kicks in and my body starts spontaneously pushing. I'm doing nothing. It's just doing it. And I'm like, already? Like, it's only been three hours. Like, what? And everyone's like, oh my gosh, the baby's coming. So cool. And we're all getting ready and keeps happening, keeps happening, keeps happening. I'm like, is this baby coming? Like, my body's trying to push and I'm starting to get confused. And essentially, I end up pushing, pushing, I was, I was really listening to my body. That's another, I forgot to mention that with Emerson's birth, um, with the coached pushing. Like, I think coached pushing is so harmful for women and their pelvic floors. And I dealt with the aftermath of that for, I mean, I think I still am a little bit, to be honest. Like, um, so it was really, really important to me this time. I was like, nobody is going to tell me when to push my baby out, how to push my baby out. And if they do tell me, I'm just going to ignore them, frankly, because I was at the point where I'm like, I don't need your help to know how to push my baby out. Um, so yeah, I start getting fetal ejection reflex, which honestly in the moment I was like, oh, this is so cool. Cause I love birth and I had read about it and I knew about it. Um, so I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like this is gonna happen. I was really excited. Um, and then like I, the sensation kept coming and my body kept trying and uh, hours start to go by which I had, did not know could happen. If you're having fetal ejection reflex, in my mind, like your baby is coming right now, right? Um, so essentially what we discovered when little Luella was born was that she was sunny side up facing the stars, my little stargazer. And uh, that is why my contractions kept stopping and starting. And I forced her out with a castor oil shake. This <laughs> is how I view it. I'm like, oh, my body again. My takeaway from this is my body is so smart and so wise that it was not starting active labor because it was like, your baby needs to rotate, leave it alone. Like let your baby rotate. 
and I didn't. And I paid the price for that with six hours of intense, like trying my body, trying to push and maneuver her down. So yeah. So, so she was still born sunny side up because there is a really good five day free birth on healing birth podcast where she explains that her body was in fetal rejection reflex for like a full day at least. And the way she explained it is that her body was putting her baby into position. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I feel it's like... It's so cool. Yeah. Because so we when think pro- we know things, but then it's like the way she told her story. We don't know anything for fact, right? Like right. we just have our stories. Totally. Yeah, and, yeah. But but what if fetal ejection ref- reflex is also your body moving your body, yeah. your baby into position? And I think that it was trying, but what... What I processed with my midwife is I told her, I was like, I feel like just in my gut, like you're saying, we think we know. Um, When my water broke, it was not like a slow trickle. It was like a gush. Like I lost my water and I continued to lose it for hours and hours. So I I think that she kind of got wedged down in my pelvis and she was, um, they could see while I was pushing for all six hours, they could see her head trying to turn. Um, because my midwife told me a lot of these babies that are sunny side up, they'll even turn while you're pushing and come out the right way, the right way. Right. Um, sometimes it happens while you're pushing. So the whole time she was kind of trying to turn, but we almost wonder if, because my, I lost my water first, she just kind of got stuck in that position and then kind of forcing labor, um, with a castor oil shake and not letting the body do its thing. Um, I almost feel like if, if my body were left to its own devices, I think my water probably would have replenished and she would have had an easier time maneuvering in my pelvis. Um, I, I think that's just where, what feels right to me, like intuitively, I know I have like kind of a, a tilted pelvis anatomy. So I think she was having a hard time. Well, I know she was because she had a huge bruising on the top of her head. And my, uh, apparently from hitting my pubic bone trying to, cause they try to like dip under. And I guess when they're facing up, they kind of, knock against it. Um, so she had like this bruising and I felt so bad. Like it was immediately, I was like, baby girl, I'm so sorry. I forced you out too soon. Like I took that castor oil shake and you were trying to turn, like you are so wise. My body was wise. And I see, I can see that. Like I totally see it had left to its own devices. I know my body knew what to do. And so that's kind of where that disappointment piece comes into play where it's like, I had this amazing home birth. I felt so empowered. I was like, yes, I can do it. I felt so strong, supported every step of the way. But, right, big but, when we intervene in birth, like that's kind of an outcome that can happen. It's like it it unfolds in a a way that maybe it fully wasn't designed to. Not that I think babies are never supposed to be born sunny side up. But in our case, with six hours of pushing and seeing her little head vigorously trying to turn, I really feel like she she was trying. Like she was like, this isn't the way I'm supposed to be. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, and the resilience of babies and the res- resilience of yeah. your body is that even with the castor oil, you forcing it to do it, like it still did it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like it's and amazing. That, it's, it's funny you say that because that's um, one of the things my midwife said. She was like, she's like, Caitlin, I don't know how to explain to you how much harder deliveries are on the mother's body when babies are sunny side up. She was like pushing the way you just pushed for six hours. Like, and I was not actively like pushing the whole time, but like I was like, I could feel my body was trying because she was like right there. And I think it was like little pushes. Like, I think my body, even in that scenario, 
even with me intervening, my body was so wise and it was like, I'm going to move her a little bit at a time and we're going to do this. Like there was still this dance happening that I don't fully have control or fully understand, you know? Um, so she was like, you are such a badass that you just did that because that is so hard. And that made me feel really awesome. I was like, thank you. Like, yeah, I am, you know? And, and it, it just, I don't know. It was, it was hard because it was like this dichotomy, um, where I was super proud of myself and I was like, yes, I had my home birth. Like I can do this. And it was this full circle moment, um, of healing a lot of those like stories that your body can't do it. And also feeling like, oh man, (laughs) I still, I still long and crave for that totally undisturbed, just beginning to end, let it do its thing. No interventions birth. Um, and I really am kind of at a place now where I don't know if that's possible if you hire a licensed midwife or maybe like, maybe it is if you just happen to be one of those people that has a birth that unfolds according to a very familiar pattern, you know what I mean? Which does happen. My sister's, my, my sister as, as a first time mom had a labor like that. Um, I didn't. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a lot, but it, but it is amazing that you can hold both. And, and that's, that to me shows how much work you've done is that it was, it was beautiful. It was healing and there was some disappointment and like, it's all everything. Yeah. (laughs) I want to, I want to bring in this perspective of there's this baby psychic book I recently got, I think it's called the cosmic bond and it's by Emily green, I think. And it's a really good book about baby souls and various baby spirits and talking to them before they're born and talking to them while they're in your womb and things. And what I'm going to say is just kind of so basic, but a big moment in my mind where she said, you know, birth is the mom and baby as a team. You're working together, right? We all Mm -hmm. know this. But she said a lot of babies do feel a little apprehensive in the journey of like the birth canal because, right, like they're somewhere so comfortable. They have all their needs met. It's warm. They're not hungry, right? Mm -hmm. And they have to go through this really tight birth canal and they don't know where they're going. And she says that baby, some babies really want reassurance during birth. Like, I know it's so scary. I know, you know, just Mm. like they need that reassurance and that, and, and mom needs it too. Right. Like, but it's a lot of times focused on the mom. And I just love that hers is if a baby is being hesitant, they could be scared. Okay. And so, I love, okay. I have some thoughts. I'm sorry. So Luella ended up being a colicky baby. (laughs) And I feel really strongly that her transition, Earthside, I think that I really feel that the colic was like an energetic thing where she was like, I'm not ready to be here. Um, And that's after, you know, months of people telling me, oh, it's this, oh, it's that, oh, it's this, oh, it's that. And I told my husband, I'm like, she, I just feel, I think that's exactly it. I think when I was in labor, she was having a harder time transitioning. I think she probably could have used that reassurance. I've never heard that before. That's amazing. Um, She probably could have used that reassurance. And instead of being met with that reassurance, it was kind of like, okay, get out. I'm taking this drink. (laughs) Oh no. You know, and I don't guilt myself. Like I, I, I really, I kind of can see it all. Like I feel like I've processed so much of this. Um, but the, the colic was 
oh, so hard. It was honestly, that was the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. Um, and it started when she was about three weeks old. So for the first three weeks, we, we actually all caught the flu postpartum. So we were like sick, but like nursing was going great. And I had just home birth and I was like, this is amazing. Um, and then, yeah, the colic started. And initially it was like, oh no, what's happening? We thought maybe it was medical. And then the longer it went on, the things that she needed, um, the only things that would stop her from crying were like an intense replication of being in the womb. And I'm not talking like the five S's. Like you hear people, oh, shush them and pat them. I'm talking the only thing that helped her was she needed to be on my chest, in my room, in the dark, starting at like 5 p.m. every day, rocking or nursing all night. And it was so, it was very isolating for me to walk through and it was so hard um, the, the screaming when she would scream. But once we kind of figured out, okay, like that's what she needs. She needs mom. And I had to go to bed so early and it was such a hard transition for my three-year-old. But it was like, I, I could see so clearly her communicating that to me of like, I am struggling to make this transition. I really need your help. And um, it made it easier to cope through it, but it was, it was really, really hard. And um, yeah, some of that I still see in, in her temperament now. Um, she's, you know, what they'd call like a spirited baby or whatever. Like I do think some babies just kind of have a harder time leaving the womb and transitioning to birth. And especially, like I think that the, the way birth unfolds in a hospital, at home, whatever it might be, can really impact that transition. And that's not talked about enough for sure. Um, nobody, like, because, you know, my baby has colic. I'm, like, asking everybody, did your baby have colic? What helped? You know, I'm, like, trying desperately to get answers. And it, it a random person that I'm kind of Facebook friends with was, like, I had a baby and she, you know, just needed me to rock her and be just me and her, just me and her alone. And it kind of like, this is light bulb moment. And then my mom, I remember making a comment like, Kate, I just feel like she still wants to be in your belly. And I was like, light bulb moment. And all these pieces started falling into place. And um, it certainly didn't go away overnight, but that is the only reason we survived that was like kind of not giving in, but like, cause that has like a negative connotation, but like realizing like, okay, we need to stop trying to fight her crying and stop trying to like fix it. Like, oh, we have to make her immediately be okay. We need to instead recognize she's crying because that's the only way she can communicate and she has a need. And I think I know what that need is. And then once we started like shifting it and really trying to support her, things just slowly, gradually got better and fell into place. Um, but yeah, it it's it's part of part of me processing my birth. I went to my husband and I was like, I think I said like, I think she's colicky because I took a castor oil shake. And he's like, no, don't blame yourself. And I was like, no, not that. I was like, I really feel like it's an energetic thing though. Like I think she's struggling with like, it just, it didn't unfold how it meant to. Like we were supposed to be this team during the birth process. And she was twisting and trying to tell me I'm not in the right position. Hey, stop this. You know, I, I just really felt that way. I was like, I can, I can see it. I don't know. I just, I just saw her saying that to me and so we kind of like just really dove into doing things that we knew were like nervous system um, supportive. And for her, that was a lot of rocking, a lot of nursing, a lot of dark 
dark, quiet rooms, um, sound machines, all of those things. And then um, she really benefited from like chiropractic care too. We saw a big shift with that. So yeah. And I think she, I think, you know, you can even get into like, well, why was she hesitant? And I really think she was feeling my hesitancy around my fears about our family dynamic changing and how I was afraid that Emmy was going to be alone and not have her mom. Like, I think she felt that from me that I was like, not fully ready. Like I wanted her, I loved her, but I was not fully ready um, to welcome her. Um, and I Major. see that. And I, I think she felt that. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, during those, the colicky period, I had a lot of times where I would just cry with her and I'm so sorry. And mm-hmm. I love you. And I want you here. Um, that's many so times, healing. That's yeah. so healing. <laughs> but I have to say like, those were happening alongside like just stop crying. Please stop crying. (laughs) I know it was so hard. It was so hard, but, uh, yeah, it's, those are the kinds of things that are hard to explain to people. And especially like, I never would have arrived there had I not gone through all of like the birth trauma and the miscarriage and all that stuff, like kind of in the allopathic Western medicine system. And then to come to a place where I'm like, No, I can just intuitively tell that like, that's what happened. Like I would not have gotten here without all of that. So I'm really grateful for it. Um, Even if it was hard, you know, like I can see, I really, I don't think I would have gotten here. So I'm, I am, it's just been such an interesting journey. I think most people who have colicky babies, it just becomes another reason to get medicine and try this and all of these things. And yeah, I don't know. It's, but you used it. To me. Yeah, but you've used all of this to look at it from kind of like a wider spiritual lens yeah. and to trust yourself more, trust your yeah. intuition more. But also I just love your your wider spiritual lens. And I know like that's a whole other story of Yeah, you, I was going <laughs> to say, do you want to talk about that because <laughs> maybe you know what? Like if you want to, you should come back and talk talk about that whole spiritual religious story because I I want those types of stories on my podcast as well. Like I'm obsessed with birth, but I want a whole host of stories because it's women growing through shit Mm -hmm. and becoming a new person. Yeah. I was going to say to me, they're like one in the same, like my spiritual view of everything is because I walked through mother like motherhood and birth babies and like it is what it is because of those experiences and yeah the, I mean a lot has changed so yeah we should t- I, I can I mean, come back because- I mean do you want to just do a cliff notes of five minutes because yeah we're, we're going long here but it's so important yeah we totally can um so I had mentioned that like I kind of had that um evangelical belief in my brain that like my body's broken I need saving um which honestly, just really primes you to be a great victim for the hospital because if you need saving, here's your OB, right? Um, so yeah, I had all of that messaging and I, I can't tell you enough. Like I was saying earlier, the miscarriage and everything kind of reaffirmed that. And then the minute Emerson was born, like, and I had, I'm, I'm not talking about like, I was a casual churchgoer. I was like a singer on the worship team. Like my husband and I were like in church, right? Um, the second my daughter was born, I looked at her face and I just, in my gut, I was like, she is not a broken sinner. What the heck have I been believing my whole life? Like what? (laughs) Um, 
And it, it, it was one of those things where it was kind of happening alongside all of these other things with like the breastfeeding and processing birth trauma. So I, I knew it right away and I kind of like tucked it away. Like, okay, this, I got to have this conversation with my husband because that I can't, I'm not on board with that anymore. Um, and so there's definitely been, she was born in 2020. And I think for the first year of her life, we kind of both, my husband and I started having these conversations where I'm like, I can't be on board with attending churches that teach that I'm broken and useless and worthless and that my children are like, I just was like, I will never take my daughters to a building where people are going to be saying those things over them. I will never do it. Um, because look at all the damage that it did to me, that that message did the trauma that maybe I could have avoided if I didn't have those deep rooted beliefs already in my, in my body. So it just wasn't even a question. Like, and there was like a lot of untangling that we had to do with like certain, um, you know, theological beliefs and well, where, where does that leave this? And where does that leave this? But for certain, the first thing was like, we were just like, we can't, we can't keep going to church. Like we have been, we just can't. Um, and since then, I think there's just been a lot of conversation and openness with like, what do we believe about God? And I think where we're at is where a lot of this conversation has been at is just a lot of being comfortable with the unknown and the mystery and sitting in nuance and not black and white thinking. And I have like more peace with that than I ever have in my whole life. Um, so yeah, it's, it's honestly been a really beautiful thing where both of my birth experiences kind of like, I feel like birth just kind of brings you to the edge of the world and back and makes you question everything. And for us, I feel like it's just so much more expansive now. Like we thought we had all the answers, you know, like this is definitely true. This is this, this is that. And walking through my birth experiences and just knowing in my gut that like, I am enough. I don't need like an external person to save me. I'm not a dirty, broken, filthy, whatever. Like I'm just not, and neither are my girls, um, has led us to be able to go, you know what? Like that is such a better and just more true feeling for what God or source or universe or whatever you want to call it is like, we don't actually need to know. Like that's just kind of where we're at. Yeah. Um, And I had a recent conversation with someone about how maybe there's so many religions in the world and so many religious people, because it is a mechanism that you don't sit in the unknown and mystery. Like you know, God exists, you know, God is like this and there's these rules and this is how you Mm -hmm. get to heaven. And it's fact, right? Yep. And you don't sit in mystery then. And because the most uncomfortable thing to do for the mind is to not know. Mm -hmm. And to, yeah. I mean, even we were a part of like a branch of Christianity that looking now, it makes me laugh, but um, is very like, not only do, do we know, but our way is the definite right way. And, um, you know, oh, well, what happens to people who never hear the message of God or whatever? And it's like, well, this is definitely what happens. Like there was just never any room for like, oh, we're not sure, you know? Um, and so when, once you pull the string though of, I mean, I think it's called like total depravity is the name of that like theology where you believe that babies are born into the world evil. Um, and a lot of Christian churches teach that and people don't realize it because I've had talks about that with like friends of mine and they're like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, 
that's that's the teaching that you're signing up for if you go like you should know that you know like it really bothers me now um but if you pull that string a lot of dogma and harmful traumatic teachings kind of come undone because they all sit on that precipice that you're broken um and i don't think for the purpose of actually helping people to find god but actually for the purpose of helping people to find like pastors frankly like so yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But. Yeah, it's, it's all for control. Yeah, actually, yeah. if you would come on again, we should talk about this because I could go on a tangent about um, how you know babies are born bad or evil or sinners or whatever. Because the whole purpose is, as a parent, you have to make your child good. Control. That's the yeah. whole purpose of yeah. normal parenthood. And yeah. then the whole Christian, the whole Christian way of parenthood is like the parent is the god of the child, yeah. and like it's, oh, I hate it's it. punishment mm-hmm. and discipline, and like we Spanking. we need to do that. We need to talk about this, okay? We're yeah. pinning this, okay? 